My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast, hmm. where this week we have all seen Tree of Life. Which, I thought it was uh, our Serious Man podcast, because of that music. Well, hold that thought. Uh, I am joined by Christian Lubezki. Lub- Lub- That's very <laughs> close. Uh, uh, it's actually pronounced Parasaurolophus. I have a feeling I'm going to find out what that is by the time this podcast is over. Uh, I also have with me Kelly Wand, who, uh, man, I'd hate to have to give a tagline to Tree of Life. What have you got for us there, Kelly Wand? Uh, yeah, if the afterlife's a beach and a beach is a giant ashtray, then we should call it the Ashterlife. <laughs> I think that's Ashton Kutcher's next reality show. Oh, wow. I... I Terrence Malick, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what is this Tree of Life thing that we saw? Don't spoil it for anyone, because they might not remember whether or not they've seen it. And they might be listening to this thinking, are they going to talk about a movie I've seen? Uh, so, Dingus, give us a little brief uh, description of, of what Tree of Life is. All right. Well, this week we saw The Tree of Life. <laughs> so there's a definite article there. All right. I'm going to make a note of that. Okay, good. Uh, the Tree of Life <laughs> is a 2011 America drama movie what? about the meaning of the word existential. The film was written and directed by Terrence Malick and stars Brad Pitt, Hunter McCracken, and Jessica Chastain. It was shot by Emmanuel Lubezki and musiced by Alexandre Desplat. The film is rated PG-13 for some thematic material. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, that too. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no thematic be- material before 13. I think we can all agree on that because we're not barbarians. Could you imagine, though, being 11 years old and taken to see this by your parents? I mean, I think the MPAA has done a great favor to many under 13-year-olds. Mom, I don't like thematic material. I'm too young still. But just think that is quite a favor they've done. It's like, you know, we're just going to do you kids a favor. Don't worry when about I- it. When I was uh, let's see, nine years old, I got dragged to see The Sting, which I'm sure uh-uh. now I would enjoy. I've since seen it, seen it, but that that's a terrible thing to do to a nine-year-old. No, it's fine. What are you talking about? It was awesome when the I was. The Sting? No, The Sting. Yeah, because you go, oh wait, what? Huh? <laughs> you have to figure out what's going on. No, that's I was. At, well, here's the thing too. I was dragged to see The Sting because I my mom didn't want me to stay home and watch Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. She thought I'd be freaked out by the, the octopus. So I had to go see The Sting. I remember hating it. Uh, I've since seen it. It's not a bad movie. But I don't. You don't. You don't want to take a nine year old, ten, eleven, twelve. Did that music to, haunt your nightmares? Like, oh, uh, you hear it every five seconds of that movie. Absolutely. But you don't want to take kids to see Tree of Life either. Could you imagine some poor kid? Like, what? Huh? Uh, but anyway, before we get into it uh, uh, too much, um, I was going to throw Which something over. Butch better than The Sting. For a kid, sure, absolutely. If you're nine, uh, you should watch Butch Cassidy. Uh, so, Dingus, I noticed in your uh, description, I accidentally saw, when I was looking up times for this movie, I hadn't seen the trailer, I didn't know anything about it, I accidentally saw 
uh, movie phone protects you from most things if you just scroll past the synopsis and look at the times. But one of the things I accidentally saw was the genre classification on mm. movie phone for Tree of Life, and it listed it as sci-fi. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> really? So I, yep, I swear to God, that's all I Based knew. Based on – because there's dinosaurs oh. in it. Maybe well going in, I was like, okay, it's Brad Pitt. There's something about a little baby's foot because that's on the poster, and it's science fiction. That's that's what that's I knew. That's all you need to know about American culture, right there. Is it can only classify Tree of Life as a science fiction movie. Ergo, <laughs> I believe Passion <laughs> of the Christ was also uh, classified. Yeah, it was science fiction. It's true because he's kind of an alien, and there's a. Yeah. Well, Kelly, one, give us a synopsis now. Let's go ahead and spoil this movie. If you haven't seen Tree of Life, we have, and we're going to be speaking about it in some detail. That will include spoilers. So, Kelly, one, why don't you lay out a spoiler-laden synopsis of the Tree of Life? This is the Tree of Life, sis. Although it's really just Terrence Malick's script, like that's this is this is this the shooting script that he used. Yeah, I just copied and pasted it from the internet. So you may notice it's more in his style than mine, although there's a lot of overlap, obviously. Rock and Um, roll. Tree of Life says, uh, yeah, so this guy's ghost asks a nebula to find his brother since they're brothers born of the same nebula. Nebula brothers. Did you guys understand Astrolife? Like, that's a play on words. And there's this third brother, but nobody cares about him. He's kind of like the Gummo, and Sean Penn's more the Costello brother. So his mom, whom you know, she's Sean Penn's mom because she's a redhead, unlike Sean Penn or her other sons, gets a telegram that says, Congratulations, you may have already won $10 million, but your son's dead. Happened here at the Telegraph office. Sorry about that. We now have a sign-up here that says, Days since last accident, one that we have a good feeling about. And she's all, the dinosaurs had it way easier than us, but not in words, because only the nebula uses words, not people in the 50s. And Brad Pitt works on an airport runway as a door-to-door salesman, although his beat used to be Hong Kong, and it's super loud. And he gets a call and goes, what? My bun side? Who is this and how'd you know? And Sean Penn's Brad Pitt's son, and he works on this elevator and a skyscraper. And on his lunch <laughs> break, he goes into somebody's office, and he unrolls some blueprints of the elevator. And he goes, see, I came up in it here, then up here to this floor, and then I hit the 40 button, and it broke. So I walked up from 32. So I'll try to bring those blueprints Monday. <laughs> and then he's on the phone with his dad, Brad Pitt, and he goes, I'm sorry for what I said earlier. And the dad goes, no, I like hearing your elevator stories. You just need to work on your endings, like Terrence Malick and M. Night Shyamalan. So there's a flashback to the beginning of the universe, and the Earth saw lava, which evolves into Gonococcus, and these turn into fish and then dinosaurs. And the land dinosaur steps on the face of a sea locanth and goes, see, evolution. And then Sean Penn enters the void as Brad Pitt's son, and Brad Pitt tries to teach him how to appreciate Brahms. And also how to lose fights with vastly stronger and larger people, which is going to happen a lot at school, probably, because bullies will go, hey, look, there's that kid who likes Brahms. But the Meek brother likes music, so he and the dad bond and start a band and vice versa. And they go swimming one day, but the kid who can't swim dies, so they hold his funeral on land. Oh, yeah. Also, they plant a tree when the kid's born. 
so he can tell how old he is without having to look at a calendar which are also made from trees, but they're only good for a year. And when the tree's grown, he plucks a fruit and tastes it and goes, mmm, symbolism. Too bad allegories out of season. <sighs> and because someday he'll be an architect in an elevator, Sean Penn, as a kid, learns how to strap a frog to a Roman candle and fire it at the moon. And the frog's all, oh, well, at least it ain't Magnolia. And the dad teaches the kid how to close the screen door more quietly by practicing 50 times, which wears out the springs early. So the dad has him practice opening it 50 times to teach him door springs don't grow on trees of lives. And the dad takes a trip to Hong Kong to sell his soul door to door. But since mom's a pushover, the kids turn the house into a half pipe. And the bullies dare the Sean Penn kid to break into a house and steal a lady's girdle and set it afloat down the creek. Because back in the 50s, that's how you told a friend's mom that you liked her. And then Brad Pitt comes home and mom's all, how was Hong Kong? And he's all, well, they gave me a choice, either quit or take a job as my own supervisor and fire myself. And the kid's all, what was the middle one? So the dad beats him. But later he feels bad and goes, look, I've been hard on you, but I was just preparing you for the real world. Like when you come to work for my company and I got to beat you every day, just like the nebulous beat the dinosaurs. And the kid's all, I get it. I'm more like you than her. Speaking of which, what's a Gagorshin? <sighs> so 30 years pass uneventfully. Then everybody dies and goes to purgatory. Only it's a beach on a cloudy day, but with rock formations, like in the Bible, but slipperier, and with less of a view, kinda, and with tons of extras standing around walking towards nothing in particular. And Sean Penn asks Brad Pitt, Hey, remember when you turned down doing the fountain because you'd grown a beard or something? <laughs> And Brad Pitt goes, that was Ocean's 15. The end. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? I Damn you, Malik! I couldn't help but think of the fountain a few times, partly because early on in the movie, there's all of this stuff that looks kind of like the macro photography in the fountain. And the fountain, uh, Darren Aronofsky famously did not use any CG in that. It's all this trippy macro photography of, of swirling liquids and stuff. So I'm watching... Uh, Tree of Life, thinking, oh, this is obviously Terrence Malick, you know, not using any CG. You know, we're just going to have macro uh, photography, yeah. and it's going to be like, the, oh, whoa, there's a dinosaur. Never yeah. mind. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, yeah, okay. So uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and predict that both of you loved this, but Dingus loved it most. That's my mm -hmm. prediction. I'm laying that out on the table. Dingus, am I right? Uh, does Kelly get a prediction? I predict that whatever I think is what I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Hmm. Okay. When we well, were, thanks uh, for so, joining so, in. See you later. <laughs> uh, so I'd been hanging out some with Dingus this weekend, and uh, he had seen it earlier before we'd hung out. And at one point, we were actually uh, out on a hike in the desert. At one point, Dingus goes... I found a dinosaur bone. And I remember when he said it, thinking, what the hell is he talking about? Why would he just randomly say that? And then watching Tree of Life, I was like, oh, that was nice. Oh, that was that you thought you'd egg. Right. That was, that, was, that was what, Dingus? That was an Easter egg. 
<laughs> it was a very nice Easter egg. So, Dingus, you loved this. I could tell watching that you were going to love it. Kelly Wand, it sounds to me like you hated the ending, or you don't – that's not the case. Um, No, I liked it. Okay, because I hate, hate, hated very strongly a couple of things about the ending, and, and it might have messed up the movie for me. Uh. Well, so, I didn't. It didn't mess up the movie for me. Let's put it that way. Like okay. I was, I like too many other things about it for the ending to overwhelm the good things. Well, as, right. as opposed to Super Eight, where the ending really did ruin the entire movie for me. <laughs> like, yeah, what was I clinging to before? And I love too, Kelly Wan, that you mentioned when we were talking about Super Eight, having seen Tree of Life, and the, and there are some interesting points of continuity, like how to uh, how to use child actors, how to shoot and capture childhood. Yeah. Uh, that I, this movie made me hate Super Eight even more, for instance. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, See? So, Dingus, Dingus, tell us why did you like The Tree of Life by Terrence Malick? You, Dingus, I'm pretty sure we we all, of course, being film nerds like Terrence Malick. Uh, but Dingus, I think you're the only one who really champions New World. Uh, so tell us uh, what. Why did you like uh, the Tree of Life? What what made this work for you? So hold on, before I do that, uh-huh. you. So you hated it, Tom? No, no, no. I hated the ending. I I quite liked it, but I really, really disliked what he did with the. I basically disliked the whole Sean Penn device, and I feel it messed it up. It took me out of the movie by the time it was over, uh, and I I just. I will apply the rule that our friend Bruce talks about. Most movies are 10 minutes too long here and that I just did not need the last two minutes. And I feel like it detracted from the what would have otherwise been a very powerful, tightly contained, provocative experience. Uh, but no, I, I overall I liked it quite a lot. Well, I think you'll note mm. that when I said who starred in it, his name was conspicuously absent. Oh, thank you. Very good, Dingus. Very good. OK. Yeah, because I, I would agree with that, and I don't really understand why we need that. But uh, but I'm interested in going into that a little bit. Um, so the question is why? Okay, here's something that happened to me, uh, and something I learned from watching the New World, and why I I love it so much. Um, I ended up watching the New World many many times that year. Because I received a screener copy because I was on what's called the the SAG nominating committee. So the Screen Actors Guild, which is a union for actors, um, has its own set of awards that happen before the Academy Awards. And it's actors giving awards to other actors, essentially. And if you're in in that union, then you have the opportunity to vote for those awards, but also – randomly every few years or some sometimes never you get the opportunity to nominate films and actors for those awards and one year i was on that that year that the new world was out and so i got a copy of that film in the mail i got almost every film that came out that year in the mail but i could only watch it on this special dvd player they sent me uh that would only work the dvd they sent me would only work on a special dvd player and then i had to mail that back at the end of the the nominating process and i still own that dvd but it can be played on no other dvd player on earth and no other cut of the film because terrence malick had to recut it exists like that cut so i don't know what it looks like anymore but i remember watching it and being confused by it and being frustrated by it but watching it over and over and over again until I just I, I wasn't doing it because I felt like I had to. I just started to fall for it. So I, I have this feeling of if I don't understand one of his films, that doesn't mean I don't <laughs> love it. And I got fairly frustrated at certain points watching this movie. In fact, a lot of people in my audience did. It was 
pretty packed. I just want to say I had people get up and leave early on. <laughs> I've I, never I, seen so many people leave. I, I think nine <laughs> or ten people left out of a, awesome. a tiny theater, but it's probably 40 people on a weekday early, but filled with people. But pe- And I, I know exactly the moment the first couple left, and a lot of people left. And um, afterward, I kind of felt frustrated, but I was in love with one particular section which I feel completely hypocritical about and I can't wait to talk about, but I'm not going to do so right now. And then after uh, a great trip out into the desert this weekend, I came back and started going over my notes and started falling in love with the film. And uh, this is a long way of saying I don't understand a lot of it, but I'm starting to. And I know that I love it even though I don't understand it. Uh, I'm starting to make connections with it. Um, in ways that I didn't really expect. And this is really, I'm sort of being vague. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get more specific later, but I, I don't know that I can explain exactly why I love it, except that it was a kind of a mind-blowing experience that continues to have furthering explosions as I get away from it. Mm-hmm. Kelly Wand, tell me why you liked The Tree of Life, and uh, what, what movies did it remind you of? 2001 and The Fountain. Yep. And um, what's that De Niro movie, This Boy's Life? Although that was kind of like the pot boiler version. <laughs> How dare you say that? Isn't that a Tobias Wolf novel? Uh, wait, is that a paranormal romance? I don't know that reference. Let's let's backpedal a little. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, I want to hear Dingus's defense of New World, but... Um, you don't get enough Malik to mm-hmm. to not really cherish the little you get because you have to. This is his first movie since New World, right? That was like six years ago. He's, I think, pretty uh, notoriously languid in terms. He's made of five his movies, fil- right? In terms of his filmmaking and the pace at which he does them, yes, yes. And so when you consider how old is it? Uh, not is it Days of Heaven? Am I screwing the name up? No, you're, uh, right. you're right. Yeah, how, like how old? That's got to be how old is that? Like consider so. Yeah, he basically one movie every four or five years. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. Longer, except for that case. huge gap until Thin Red Line, which was decades. I think. So, so Kelly Wand, a lot of what you liked about it is we don't get enough Malik, and uh, I guess you, you like nobody really shoots quite like Malik or puts things together quite like he does. It, it's definitely distinct. Uh, yeah, so, and I'm trying. I haven't decided yet if I consider it a minor Malik or not. Ah, interesting. Because there's just—is there enough Malik for there to be a, any minor Malik? <laughs> and is New World's minor Malik for me and you? But maybe Dingus. That's I'm, the beauty I'm of Malik. Is Dingus can say, "Oh yeah, New World's cool," and you can't. You go, "Well, maybe it is," because it is. It is Dingus too. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, wait a minute. You know, I mentioned Days of Heaven. Did the Sissy Spacek Martin Sheen thing come out before or Badlands? Badlands is that pre- is before that, yeah. Pre Days of Heaven. So that's even. And that one doesn't. I wouldn't say that's minor Malik because it's fantastic, but yeah. it's not. He hadn't really formed his style. In a way, I would say it's almost like pre Malik Malik. Uh, <laughs> like this is definitely the kind of stuff that, you know, Days of Heaven gets a little bit more like this in terms of the storytelling. Um, and certainly Thin Red Line. I guess new world. So yeah, you're right, Kelly Wan. You can't really have. But that ending, distinct. it does that spelling out thing that always bugs me. Like, oh yeah, okay, it's like everything's fine. And I don't understand why we need an afterlife. I don't understand why it's ending like the lost TV series. 
not the movie you were pitching to me earlier. That's a terrible way to put it, but you're right. It, I, I wrote in my notes uh, a beach cast reunion. <laughs> it felt yeah, like, I just uh, – I don't get – I don't understand the human we, need for that. Before we uh, – yeah, let's let's talk about the good things before we slam that because I there, there's so many good things to talk about yeah. here. Uh, so uh, so I want I want to then briefly explain why I loved it. Uh, what my favorite movie of it's Thin Red Line ninety nine two thousand whatever year it came out Thin Red Line was my favorite movie of that year partly because I like Malick's approach. I mean I love the way he shoots it. I love uh, how it recalls for me the way that there are epic stories told about war going back to the, the Iliad, to Homer, uh, and it felt like a very similar approach. It's a meditation on war, and Malik just captured that just, just so well with the way he showed you the thoughts of the different characters, ranging from Nick Nolte to Sean Penn's character to Adrian Brody to the, uh, Jim Caviezel, uh, uh, even, even John Travolta, uh, just all of – it's a huge cast of characters meditating on war, and war is a fascinating subject. It's one that – I cannot begin to comprehend the enormity of it. I've never been in war. Uh, I don't think I personally know people. I, I mean, it's not an experience I can relate to. So it's fascinating to me to hear and see artists meditate on it, ponder it. Um, so that's what, what appealed to me in Thin Red Line. This seemed to me like a similar meditation on family and religion and how we use family to create religion to make sense of the universe uh and it just that's that's an incredibly ambitious thing to approach with a mere movie uh and i respect that he tried it and except for what i felt like was this weird decision for how to end it i thought he was incredibly successful and i just thought it was so moving how that was expressed in a way that that felt unique to to terence malick um so that's why I liked it. Uh, so there we go. <laughs> Wait, what was Dingus going to say made him a hypocrite? Cause... Yeah, Dingus, what's, what part that you liked makes you a hypocrite? You said there was a, a section that was really powerful for you, I think you said? The, the part I like the most in this, or at the part I liked the most as I watched the movie, um, but I don't know that that's true now, because I think that I'm going to change as I talk about this film the part i liked the most about this movie is is the part that i would find analogous and hated the most about 2001 and i felt this happening to me as i watched it and i thought kelly's gonna kill me for this because i loved all of the 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 i'm not gonna i I can't call it a digression because i don't think that's what it is if you really start to try to comprehend what the movie is is about but that that whole birth of the universe and what how life comes to us how did you come to me and in what shape and what form did you come to me that birth of the universe the the beauty of that not only the beauty of the photography and the cg which is done by the same guy who uh douglas trumbull who did 2001 um, what are you serious Yeah. yeah He's yeah, the one who because Malik hates CG and and so Trumbull was like, hey, just do a 2001. Fuck CG. Yeah, I should have stayed through the credits. I I'm such a jerk now. For wow, that's awesome that that's Trumbull. So I'm sorry, Dingus. Go ahead. Well, it's just that that in I don't know if it's 
I don't know. I, you know, I've complained about 2001 that the ending feels so self-indulgent and it annoys the hell out of me that we're just going through the star field for what feels like forever. Uh, but when it happens in the middle of this movie and people are getting up and walking out. <laughs> um, Buy star was, stuff. You know, and even when the, the voiceover happens and that volcano and the billowing clouds and the, the lightning, I was just on board for it. And I'm at a loss to explain why it works and touches me so much more than 2001, no matter how many times I've seen it. I can, I can, I can answer that. Uh, I, I feel part of why it works is because this is an established way. Uh, this stuff is downright biblical. You know, the fact that it opens with a quote from Job uh, I, is, is telling because the book – this is sort of like if, if you were to call Thin Red Line the Iliad – I, I think this uh, Tree of Life is basically the book of Job, because the book of Job has all of these things. You use the word digressions, and that's that's fair, even though you're reluctant to, because it, it can feel like a di- digression. All of these things about the, the wonder of nature and the universe and the galaxies and the planets, you know, things that we know about now that weren't part of the worldview in, when Job was written. Uh, but it's that same kind of thing. If you want to comprehend the death of your son, you know, it's something that terrible it's not a far step i mean there's a connection between that and the spectacle of galaxies and the movie almost it's not a jump cut but it's close the movie goes from the death of a boy to entire galaxies mm-hmm. right. um and and that that's what what a fantastic way to capture that that moment in that state of mind and that that questioning of of why you know if yeah. you want to ask god there's there and this, these are the voiceovers i thought did a great job of making this case if you want to say lord why when a, a boy dies, then it's just a short step to considering the entire universe. Uh, and I love how self-indulgent the what the movie was in making that point. Uh, and that and, that to me felt downright biblical. And then he trampled that point with the ending because he's showing us like truths, like oh yeah, we started, we all came from that star stuff. Like that's where that that's where his son began. And then at the end, oh by the way, but don't worry, there's a beach somewhere, and you'll see him again. It'll be fine. I I'm not I wasn't quite sure what to make of it, but I thought more it was the the idea that the 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 a lot of the movie was was Sean Penn on the the anniversary the the day of the year that his brother had died lighting a candle and remembering him, and that this is kind of how his final memory went where they're all. Like, I don't think there's necessarily any sort of theological point made there so mm. much as a point about this is what Sean Penn's character does as a ritual. Every day, every year on the day that his brother died. I don't know. Who are all the other people, then, in that scenario? That people from his life. Them? People from his life and his childhood. No, they're not reacting to him. Uh, that's – I don't that, know. I, that's, I don't, that's what I thought of it as I was watching. I like you, but I'm not buying a word this. <laughs> hey, well, Dingus, what did you make – okay, so w- let's talk then about the end. Dingus, what did you make – you mentioned you didn't mention Sean Penn in the cast list. What did you make of his inclusion and, and all the stuff on the end – at the – at the end on the beach. I really don't know what to make of that. I, I'm much more interested in the thing that I was least interested in while watching it, which is what the family means and what the father's, specifically the father's relationships mean. Um, because to be quite honest with you, there were a couple moments there on the beach that I started to nod off. And um, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm just like, what is all this beach stuff? Really? Uh, but it doesn't make me hate the movie. It's almost something that I, I'm, 
I'm forgetting a lot of the Sean Penn stuff. You know, him in the, those towers. I, I understand sort of the idea of it, but I don't need it. Uh, I mean, the the movie you said it you said it very well, Tom. It, it was all it could have been this tightly contained, mind blowing experience. Without that, it it feels like he's reaching beyond that all of a sudden. There's there's this wonderful visual image before we get the first time we get to Sean Penn, where all of a sudden we jump into traffic for like a flash and you see modern vehicles going across a bridge and, and you're like, Whoa, what? And then, and then you get into the modern world and, and you're, you're sort of, cause I had no idea should, who was going to be playing what and who, what the relationships were. So I, I right. liked that, that expectation. I was relieved that we didn't have to live in that modern world too much. Um, and I don't know that you need it, but as far as explaining the ending, I'm I'm not going to be much use. Well, if you recall, if I'm not mistaken, the final shot was of the, a bridge, wasn't it, in the modern world? If I'm, yeah. Am yeah. I right? Yeah. So I, I think the point here's the if 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 I had to wrap up the sort of the structure, if I had to explain the structure of the movie, I think the idea is that it's Sean Penn, grown up, having lost his brother when he was a, a kid, remembering that day. And and the movie's making some statement about, you know, your childhood determines who you are, and this is a bridge to his past or mm. to the universe or to his cosmic understanding or something like that. And I, I just didn't need any of that. Right. And it confused the point. You know, if, if you were imagining your family being together on a beach, why does your father still – like when I think of my mother, my mother's a beautiful woman, and that's that's always weird to see pictures of her as a, as a younger woman. But I don't, if I imagine my, my mother, I don't think of her as she was when she's 20 years old. You know, why is, is Sean Penn remembering his mother as Jessica Chastain and his father as Brad Pitt and not as they are now because he'd just been on the phone? Right. Right. It just felt like a gratuitous, like I said, cast reunion. And, and you know, when I think of myself as a little boy, I don't I see pictures of myself as a little boy. I don't that's weird to me in an odd way. Me as a little boy is just a shorter version of what I see in the mirror every day. And so he's he's <laughs> I think he even embraces himself, the little child actor playing him, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that was weird and it yeah. didn't fit what I thought the fiction was that he was going for here. Um, but in a way, I don't want to talk about that because it was an inconsequential part that I just thought was clumsy and could have been easily, easily cut out because uh, there's so many things that are much more worth talking about. There's, there's much richer territory to mine here, I, I think, than this clumsy beach stuff. It's like when Luke saw Hayden Christensen and Jedi at the end as the ghost instead of the old man. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Kelly. Keep going. And then, uh, <laughs> hold on. Let me let me mark down the time. It's the Ewoks. Eleven thirty-four. Okay, I got yeah. it. Yeah, we got to get the time to Star Wars uh, tag for. IPads. I'm I'm really surprised. One of the things that um, I didn't mention earlier. I, I, one of the things I was surprised at as far as Kelly's. Um, response or reaction to the film is that I thought that he was going to like it a lot more than he has because of the word languid and because of the film enter the void, because there's a lot that happened for me in enter the void that Kelly described as languid that I thought he would respond to in the tree of life. I did surprised that he didn't. No, no, I did. What are you talking about? 
What did I not like about Languid and Tree of Life? It was awesome. Well, I, I didn't know. I mean, I, I thought you would like it more because of how you responded to how – I mean, you, you talked about how much you love it when a director is Languid or when – when No, no, and I love, I love Tree of Life because it is Languid. I, I okay. guess I didn't – I didn't clarify that I like the film a lot, and that's yeah. Well, we're we're, we're we jump to the stage where we're being mean to the beach, right? Stuff. Yeah, we yeah. all so that's, so we right. all hate the beach stuff. Okay. We all don't understand okay. why. Sean, well, thank you, beach. Yeah, we don't know why Sean Penn was in this. Doesn't right. he have better things to do? I mean, it is. Or maybe I even he liked, had, I didn't like ten parts. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say you were saying like he shouldn't even been in the movie at all, and I was just gonna say I kind of liked the the dynamic. And the dichotomy of like him in a skyscraper versus, and it's kind of this soulless, empty, like he's not saying anything, and the conversation is really subdued, as opposed to like this really visceral street he used to live on. It's, I don't know. It's like no one's still. There's so little dialogue in the movie in both sequences, but they feel so different. Mm-hmm. And uh, okay, I was just saying, it's like I didn't. Mind. Well. What and and part of too what I thought was clumsy this the idea that the mother passes the son on to the new wife like again I can understand maybe why Malik might, might want to make that point but the movie didn't need it mm-hmm. uh, there was so much other cool stuff going on about uh, about fatherhood and uh, the the different roles between a mother and a father I felt why put at such a significant point in the movie right before the conclusion this weird little coda about a mother passing and it was strange I. I was a little disturbed at how hot that was. Uh, yeah. Jessica Chastain and whoever was playing Sean Penn's wife. I mean, that, that was kind of a little steamy hot. there. That, that, that was their PG-13 rating right there. Uh, <laughs> but, so I, I was like, this is a very prominent moment to put this stuff. And I, I think it's detracting from this awesome stuff that came before. So, yeah, all of that. Let, I, so I was wondering, too, like, do Sean Penn and Terrence Malick have such a close relationship since Thin Red Line that Terrence Malick felt the need to put him in the movie? Uh, I, I don't know what was going on there. But but it, it was interesting to see the, the – like, that kid was so – was kind of a firebrand. And so to see him all buttoned down and kind of bottled up like Sean Penn – Sort of lens. Well, certain... you know what? So here's again another reason I wish we hadn't had to deal with the whole Sean Penn thing. I got the impression that the kid, Dingus, what was the the, the young actor's name who you mentioned? McCracken. Hunter McCracken. Hunter McCracken, and he was the kid. I'm just gonna. I have in my notes, kid with the ears, and I feel bad about that because. But he was the kid with the the ears, right? The old the older <laughs> brother. He's Jack. Yeah. Now isn't he the one that died? No. Which which one died? See, I feel I I Dingus, you slept through part of it, but you still know which one died because I couldn't quite parse that. Which of the kids? So it was the younger brother who said, "I trust you." Who died? The yeah, the the kid who was the musician. I mean, what the what the film is basically telling you, and I think there's a number of points, and I think Kelly kind of messed a little bit up as far as the swimming accident is concerned. But I think there's a number of points where it gets a little confusing. But I believe the kid who died at 19 was the kid who was the musician because we go through the house and we see his guitar at the time when they're grieving and we see mm. the father. Pulls, yeah. Yeah. But I, and I think, go, go ahead. Wait, what, what other, what other support is there for that? Uh, um, and I, I, I kind of lost it just for a second. Okay, but you're right. This the scene I do remember vividly after getting the death announcement, the the idea of them having to look away from the room with the guitar. And I remember the younger I trust you brother out there playing the guitar. So so I was going through the movie because they mentioned 19 for some reason, thinking the older kid died. So And also the nah. 
no, you're probably right. And the ears thing confused me. Sean Penn's ears don't stick out like that. So, uh, also the thing, the stuff he focuses on, like, wouldn't be the things that the other brother would have remembered. Like, oh, that time I, I shot his finger. But well, and obviously, you know what? You're you're right too, because obviously he's remembering things that he probably never told anyone, right. like stealing the woman's underwear. Uh, so you know what? You know what? You're, that's a fair point. So again, I wish that I didn't have to struggle with this confusion about now. Wait a minute, which one is Sean Penn? Which one is going to die? Uh, you know, does Sean Penn look like that? And by the way, the younger that the younger kid who's supposed to grow up to be Sean Penn, then I I no, who's who's dies Dad. looks so much like Brad Pitt too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so such an incredible facial resemblance there. I was wondering, wow, is it is this really one of his kids? Um, so, so anyway, I, I, that was another reason that I felt like we didn't need the Sean Penn stuff. I was a little confused about this idea of someone remembering back to his childhood. Which one of these kids is he? And yeah, you're right. It's got to have been the younger one who died then. And there were three boys, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And the and, pool death was not one of the boys. And I was very clear on that. Yeah, I thought that was very obvious. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, I thought that too. I didn't think it was oh. one of those. Because they, they, they just stare at the coffin like, oh, that's what a coffin is. Oh, that's what death is. Like, it's their first okay. death in the town. Like, that's how he remembers it. But I think um, it's he, a little confusing when they're at the pool because Brad Pitt runs up to help. Or right. because the father runs up to help. And so it's a little confusing. And when you said that in your synopsis, I went, uh-oh, somebody did get tripped up by that. Yeah, no, I think Kelly Wan just said the boy who didn't know how to swim. Uh, so, But, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, okay, glad you got that right, Kelly Wan. Let, so let's then talk about... We, we didn't we didn't we didn't like Sean Penn in here. How did you guys feel about Brad Pitt uh, in this role? What, how did it, what about putting a big old superstar like Brad Pitt? Is his stunt casting? Did it work for you? Did it not work for you? Kelly Wand, what do you have to say about that? He was awesome. Totally bought into it. He seemed really. <laughs> Kelly needed. Wand, in this part, would you have rather had Paul Walker? No, you know what was cool is he sounded like his Inglorious Bastards character a little, so you could kind of pretend it was the same dude. Like, uh, I killed Hitler and I'm still stuck in this bullshit job factory. <laughs> uh, okay, so-, so like his favorite musician's German, and he's a Nazi slayer. See, see what happens when I go to the movies with galactic explosions <laughs> and dinosaurs, <laughs> directed by Terrence Malick. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question? So, so John Pitt. Brad, yeah. Brad Pitt worked for you because, How you, of, Tom? How does, because uh, of the connection. Does Brad Pitt work for you? At first, no. I was like, I don't want Brad Pitt in this movie. Get him out of here. I'm so conscious of the fact that I'm watching superstar Brad Pitt. I don't like this. I, this I'm I'm going to fold my arms and harumph every time he's on screen. You mm-hmm. know, give this. There's so many great actors. He's doing fine, I guess, but it, give this to someone else. And then as I'm watching the movie and I realize that – uh, as I said before, I really feel strongly that a lot of what this movie is saying is that what, how we make sense of the world, and that's the role that religion plays in many people's lives, is something that we learn from our parents. And to me, I kept watching this movie thinking this is this great concept, you know, this Western religious concept of God. He can be, he, he's, he's powerful, he can be harshly loving, uh, he's, he's teaching you rules, you know, borders, uh, you know, he has its place. And there's this early dialogue about the difference between nature and grace. Um, and I think there are a lot of lines that are delivered to God, things that are very explicit, like, uh, let me see, uh, 
brother, mother, it was they who led me to your door. You know, what you learn about, and I think a lot of these lines are addressed to God, what you learn about the universe, about God, are things you learn through your family. Uh, at one point, Sean, Sin says, you, Sean Penn says, you spoke to me through her before I knew I loved you. And I, I, I think that's probably a, a statement to, to God. Uh, early on, there's a, a voiceover that says, uh, what was it you showed me? I didn't know how to name it then. There's this sense that that what you know what we know about the universe and about 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 religion and morality all that stuff is stuff that we get from from our parents so as the movie went on and i was watching what i thought they were trying to do with this role of a father it made perfect sense to me to cast this this imperious celebrity in the role of a father uh, and so I, I ended up loving him in this. Uh, I love that they didn't just make him to be a bully. I love how we could see that he loved his sons. I, I thought uh, the scene where he's teaching the boy to fight mm-hmm. was so incredibly powerful. Uh, and, and his interaction with those boys, there's an early shot, too, of him holding one of the kids – it's a little older than an infant. Oh, I love that shot. Yeah, and he's holding him so harshly, though. It's not that he doesn't know. How. I mean, it is a little bit that he doesn't know how. He's not holding the, the child like a mother. There's this very powerful grip, and he's not letting the child wiggle, and, and he's patting him sort of forcefully. And it's a little stilted and awkward, but it's just so paternal in a very traditional way that we never see in movies anymore. You know, the scene where the little boy – and this has got a laugh from my audience. The scene where the little boy says, you be quiet. You know, his reaction <laughs> to that, I loved that because, you know, in, in a, most movies that would show that would have some sort of judgment on it. Mm-hmm. Like that's abusive. Parents shouldn't do that. And the fact that, that that scene was shown without judgment, that it, this is just the way it is. He's frustrated. He's dealing with this legal wrangling. You know, he is petty. Uh, that's part of who he can be. Uh, I just loved the way that it, it played on Brad Pitt's celebrity to sort of create this role where what you know about God, you learn from your father. Yeah. Uh, so I ultimately loved the casting of this. Uh, you know, that happens a lot with Brad Pitt, like Brad Pitt as Jesse James. I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to see a Western with Brad Pitt. But Jesse James as this celebrity, uh, even Brad Pitt as Achilles uh, in Troy, you know, Achilles as this guy who doesn't have an accent like anyone else, who's like half God. I, I just I Brad Pitt is just just knocking him out of the park for me as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I loved him in this, even though I didn't at first. Uh Something else I like, too, is uh, – and it it's kind of speaks to what you're talking about. It's like when Brad Pitt was kind of apologizing to the kid, and the kid goes, well, it's your house. You make the rules. It's like <laughs> I was thinking, that kid's going to grow up to be an awesome dad, and you never hear kids say things like that anymore. Like, they never defend you the, the parents' position against themselves. That's a 50s thing. Am I wrong? <laughs> Dingus, you're a father. Movie- is the butt one muscle or two? Uh, this movie was full of 50s things, and I, I, I so respected that about it. Uh, so, so Dingus, you, you then did not disapprove of Brad Pitt. I loved him, but I loved him from beginning to end. Yeah, um, me too. And in this movie. Um, and <laughs> the thing that I, I love what you're saying, Tom, I, I, there's so much I want to say about this. I'm, I just get, I'm so excited that we're talking about this movie. Uh, that, that particular moment you're talking about where he's holding the baby on his shoulder – He's, he's not letting that kid look out the window. 
That's specifically what he's doing. Every time that kid's <laughs> head turns, he turns that head, he forcefully, his huge hand on that kid's head, he will not let the child look out the window. And he's, I could just see them sitting there forever with a camera. Wait till the kid, we're just going to wait till that kid tries to look out the window. When, when the kid does, do not let that kid look out the window. Um, and there were so many things that were happening with, with the father-son dynamic in this that are necessary to have somebody like Brad Pitt. Because I think Brad Pitt – and I love what you're saying about family and an interpretation of God because I think that, that fa- the father is God. I, you know, um, There's so many things going on in this movie that I didn't understand. He's, we don't see abuse until a certain point. We see him trying to be affectionate and the kids resisting it or just being passive about it. You know, did, is, isn't there something you forgot and then the kid has to go hug him? But the, when he hugs his kids a few times, they're just passive. They don't hug back or they're – it's not just li- the way little boys act. It's, it's, there's something else going on. And, and what I started to feel like is that this is, this is almost an explanation of our relationship with God in, in – in the idea of the human relationship with God, yep. of yep. God demanding or, or wanting our affection, or maybe an Old Testament God and maybe the mother's the New Testament God. The God, God mm. wanting our affection and us resisting it or denying it. And when he's out, then we're just going to run rampant and be in a state of nature. And having Brad Pitt in that role, I think if you had somebody else we didn't know or somebody who didn't have that kind of – magnetism or charm, we would have an excuse to hate him because he's the great Santini. He's just this abusive father and we can just hate him even if we're not seeing the abuse. We're now, just going to well, go I, on I the really, reaction. I have to take – you really think he was abusive? I think that's the idea that no, – Oh, I got it. Man, I so am resistant to I'm with to, Tom on this. No, I don't, I don't think he is but I think that, that that's the idea that we might trip to. Like when we were at the dinner table and he says, you know, don't talk for another half hour until you have something to say. And then the kid says, be quiet. And then he he goes after the family. He throws a kid out the door. He throws another kid in the closet. He goes after the mother. I mean, there's there's moments in there that are that are in, in modern I, society that are assault. And OK, but that's the key word there in modern society. Sure. The, the movie's set in the 50s. It's a very different time. I mean, I, rolling mm-hmm. out the word abusive to me just I think completely is, would derail any discussion uh, about this movie. I, and I don't think that's what the movie wants you to do. I think the movie is very careful. I mean, it's for I, I would hope a discerning audience to know that this is a different time. These are different values. Uh, I, I just would so I, I just bridle at the use of the, the word abusive here. It's uh, misleading. That's kind of my point, because one of the one of the things the kid says is, why does he hurt us? And that's one of the things that the characters are saying to God. Where exactly. are you? You're letting exactly. you're letting people die. If you're going to do evil things, then I'm going to do evil things. And the, the point, though, is isn't that God abuses us. I mean, I think that right. the point right. is that there's something imperious that we will never understand about God. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And I think that if you have an actor who doesn't have that emotional connection with us immediately, then we as an audience have an excuse to say, oh, he's just abusing <laughs> them. But we don't see it. And we can hate him now. I don't know why you I mean, you really have that. Like, I don't you like you really feel that way about Brad Pitt. Like that sort of comes like you have in sort of an instant sympathy or emotional connection with Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. I like him. I like him very, very much. I mean, okay. I, I mean, I think he, that he's just got this immediate magnetism and he carries it forward in this film. And and you're not sure what's going on. You're not sure what we're being shown. And after that scene at the dinner table, you're uh, 
I'm wondering how far is this going to go? He has a he has a hold on this family, and it's not just uh, that the mother is a pushover and he's really strict. There's a feeling of fear in that household, and when he's gone, it's not there. And and the kids say, "Why does he hurt us? Why does he act this way to us?" There's a feeling of of him being this other energy than she is. Well, and, of course, sure. But I don't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, the the idea is that we're supposed to be curious about that, and the way we're curious about God is is God is God directly evil, as some people think, or is he indifferent, or is he trying to teach us, and that is why we get hurt, and that is why we get sick, and that is why our brothers get killed. He could have done something, and he didn't. He could have saved that kid at the pool, and he didn't. I mean, these are the things we think about God, and some people think God is an abusive, evil being, and some people think, no, this he's doing what's best for us. And I think we're supposed to have that feeling watching this movie, is there evil in this household or not? And that's why I think it's brilliant to cast Brad Pitt because we don't think of him as being that. I think I'm, I'm just getting I, I'm getting hung up on you saying things like is there evil in this household and how far will the abuse go because I don't I, I really think those are things that the movie's not trying to imply. How uh, I don't think there's take, ever. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. How can you possibly take the scene that happens between the mother and him after that dinner as anything other than that? That he is doesn't anything strike. violence waiting yeah. to explode. Look at that mother. Again, I don't think – She's standing up to him, though. Do you think the implication, Dingus, is that there's I, – I don't think – well, you think the implication is that there could be abuse in this household. I don't think that's at all what they're going for. I, I mean I don't think there's ever any question in your mind – there should be that, – that, that this father loves his children and he's doing what he thinks is best, that the children are not in peril, uh, that they are just having a tough time learning things. Uh, I, I don't I, – I, I mean I, I have no doubt that this father loves his children, but I have also no doubt that fathers who love their children can abuse them and but again, not right, you're think that they're that, doing so and I, they're again, teaching them lessons. Right. Abuse in the wider world, yeah, it's a terrible thing, right, and that doesn't preclude somebody loving their child. But but the implication that, that this movie is having us wonder about abuse, I just yeah. totally don't. I, I just – I'm sorry because I love the portrayal of the father's harsh love and how in any other modern movie, the movie would be too scared and too timid about people misinterpreting it as abuse. And I just hate to hear that brought into the conversation here because I don't I – don't, it's not sugarcoating it, that's all. Yeah, exactly. It's not – like most movies would sugarcoat it or pull their punches. Right. The scene, he's holding her forcefully. He's not going to strike her, but that, that's – that modern day yeah that might be inappropriate to do but i think he's doing that out, out of out of just love in the same way he holds the child clumsily and sort of forcing the child's head away that's not a sign of like poor parenting any more than him forcefully holding jessica chastain's arms to her side is is a sign that he's being inappropriate towards his wife i, I just feel that this is a a different society different cultural values and i really respect the movie for doing it and i would hate to think that some people would think that this could lead to abuse or uh, – Maybe I, we're just using the word abuse differently because it, do you not see – do you not have any sense of danger at all? No. Well, I, you know, I think that we're just talking about different things then because I think that we're supposed to have a sense of power and danger power, in yes, that house. Power, yes, danger, no. Yes, power, yes, danger, no. Uh, I, I think he's – He says at the beginning, I never had a chance to apologize to him, and I think there's a clear sense of grief about things that he did wrong. That he messed well, up. No. On. Well, you remember he specifically says, "I made that boy feel shame." That's what bothers him. 
Uh, not that he hurt the boy. And, and I love, too, when he's having the confessional with uh, Hunter, the young Jack, I guess. When he's having the confessional with him, he says, all I wanted to do was make you boys strong. And that's why that fighting scene was so powerful to me, is he's teaching a boy how to hit somebody in the face. Yeah. Uh, and he's doing it out of love. And you can almost see this sort of pain in his eyes that he understands what, a, in a way, a terrible thing it is to teach a child this. But the world is terrible and he's got to be tough and teach his children to be tough. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, I, I think it's just different values. And I hate to think that it might be interpreted as something abusive or dangerous. And the Sean uh, Penn I don't think scenes. that's what it is, but I think that the movie uncovers that it's not that. Just as that, that it's in- uncovering for us a connection or a bridge to God or an understanding of God not being abusive or evil or or taking people away or causing sickness. You know, there are people who have that interpretation as well. But I think for me, as I watch this film, I'm, I'm thinking, what is this film going to uncover as we get more and more understanding of why won't these boys be affectionate? Why is this woman so withdrawn? It's not – you're right. It's not because he's beating them. It's because of the power he has in that household. But I right. think the film uncovers that, and for me – at that dinner table, there's a sense of danger when he gra- when when that kid says be quiet and he grabs him and throws him outside and throws the other kid in the closet and goes after the and the mother goes after him and he goes after her. Uh, for me, there's a lot of stakes there, and for you, apparently, there's no danger. And so I understand. Yeah, right. There's no danger. Here's yeah. There's no danger in the sense that I didn't think anybody was going to get hurt or abused or that we were then going to start seeing a movie about the father's downward spiral into to abuse or anything. I didn't feel. There was any sense of danger there. I felt the same as watching Super 8. I didn't think any of these kids was going to get hurt by him. Uh, I will tell I, you, though. Yeah, I can't agree with that. All right. Well, here's where there's a sense of danger. There's one shot in this movie of a little baby climbing upstairs. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. don't let that happen. <laughs> That's as dangerous as it got. But the Sean uh, Penn scenes also suggest that they're not. I mean, that puts the light of the abuse thing to me. Like he's 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 doing really well in his career, probably. He's riding elevators to the top of the sky. He's on the phone with his dad and apologizing to him. I mean, they've worked through it. I mean, I really think it's I think the movie is showing us what's ultimately a a healthy relationship. And you got to go on. Sorry. I I think the movie is is making a comment about a a healthy relationship to a boy and his father. And what is ultimately Dingus used the word existentialist earlier. And I'd love to hear this. What is ultimately a sort of a healthy relationship between man and God? Uh, I don't think uh, it, it, so. I, yeah, like Kelly Wand, you said, you know, they're obviously still in touch. I mean, I, I don't think there's supposed to be anything dysfunctional about the father child right. interactions or the man God interactions. And they're products uh, of their time. I mean, that's it's really right. important thing about this movie. It's a period piece set in the 50s as opposed to like Gone with the Wind. <laughs> I mean, it's trying to authentically capture the way. And there's so many awesome scenes. I'm sure Dingus will be the first to agree with this, that are just like arguments resolved through body language. And that scene by the sink is one of them. Can you hear that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, The idea that there's no dysfunction here is stunning to me. All right. I mean, the, you don't say something to your wife like, you've turned all of my kids against me. And Dingus, you don't tell your Dingus, kids. please. No, Dingus, come you on. You do not tell your kids your mother people is get, naive. Dingus, people, yes, you, people get in arguments and people say things they don't mean. It it that's, not, that's not a sign of dysfunction. That's a sign of a normal human being, Dingus. We also don't know that, there's, that they stay together. They may have split up over that. They may be in different relationships. These are not normal, and that's what's wonderful about it. <laughs> Dingus, these this are bizarre this is a, that you're saying this. 
It's a meditation on the human condition. All families aren't perfect. Fathers get angry. Mothers can maybe be too meek and submissive. Sons can break into somebody's house and steal a dress. I mean, we were all having – no, people do things that they're ashamed of, that they think are wrong. They have regrets. That's not the same as the word dysfunction and abuse. Those are very loaded words. You know, dysfunctional families – I just – you know, this is this. I think we're going to get semantic with this, but because right. yeah, you're probably I, right. Uh, they say things they don't mean. That's what people say a lot. Right. And, and I and I got to respect the fact that the movie showed us this without yeah. that kind of without the kind of judgment that I think you're, you're kind of making. Dingus. It's all the stupid movies that have spoiled us like, oh, like now that we've had so many fucking Hollywood movies where the hero has to like smile, like he can't do anything like Brad Pitt does in this movie without atoning for it somehow. Here, so, Dingus, here's an, just sort of a, a similar – like what I would think of as an analogy. In Meek's Crossing, characters use just loathsome racial language on, on a few small occasions. And I don't think – I think that calling this movie like dysfunctional – calling this family dysfunctional or abusive would be the same thing as calling the people in Meek's Crossing racist, which right. according to today's standards, yes, they would be. But because Meek's Crossing isn't a movie about today's standards, right. I think it's a little unfair to, to 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 use that criteria. So you're right, Dingus. By today's standards, what they're doing is maybe dysfunctional and abusive. But I don't think this movie is about today's standards. I think it's taking an almost mythic – and again, I'll roll out the word biblical. Like it's taking out this sort of like like timeless literary approach to issues and how people struggle with them. And specifically, you know, it does a huge galactic – scope on it but specifically this is about a family in the 50s in waco texas for pete's sake um i got the sense it was like a dad with issues and he knew he had issues and his wife knew he had issues and when he said stupid shit like that she'd pity him and then he'd feel like a total asshole and then they'd make up but they might have been divorced yeah. Well, and to, to Dingus, I mean, to Dingus's point too. I mean, he d- really did seem petty and silly at times. You know, yeah. some of the things he said were ridiculous, and and his sons, the fact that part of growing up was his sons identifying that hypocrisy and that pettiness, yeah. I think, is an important part of growing up. Uh, and again, it ties into what we know about religion and then the universe and how we feel about God. I think I'm not going to uh, be like him. Not going to turn out the same way as my dad. Well, I love that, you know, you let a boy die. Why should I be good if you aren't? That line is uh, like this great little diptych, you know, a complimentary piece to the line about, uh, you know, he tells us not to put our elbows on the table, yet he does he it. He does it, right. Uh, so so there, there is necessarily, you know, he's a, he's a flawed character, just like God is a flawed yeah, character. He's human. So, he's a human yeah. being. So, you know what? I agree with you, Dingus. <laughs> I just – I hate certain words because I think certain words are just so loaded these days that uh, – Sorry, yeah. to, sorry to sidetrack. It's side hysteria. It's, it's um, <laughs> politically correct hysteria. Uh, I want to talk about something that I know Dingus will have something to say about. So how about that boy with the ears? I loved it because it was never – it was just like that kid's association with – it was the same thing as the coffin in a way. <laughs> it's just something he remembers about his child, like the friend with the ears. No, no. I meant, I meant the, the main actor. I, I, I knew. So Dingus, what did you think of the kid playing young Jack? Uh, I, I thought he was great. There you yeah. go. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to let you get away with the Meeks cutoff thing, Tom, because I don't think... Oh, okay, I don't okay. Think, we, yeah, here we go. I don't think, it, I don't think Meeks cutoff and the analogy right. you're trying to make has anything to do with what I'm saying. And I think okay. when you when I say the word abusive, you hear beating or physical abuse, and I think you're nope, missing the Not point. at all. Not at all. Uh, there can be emotional I really abuse, think, I understand. 
And I don't think this is about the way a normal family develops. I think it's about a relationship with God and the way we view God much more than that. Um, and I think that the, I, I think that, I don't know. I just can't agree with that. And I think that, that analogy misses it. I just don't think Meek's cutoff has, I, I understand what you're saying as far as the words they're using, but I don't think that there's a bridge between these two. At all. The point of the analogy, Dingus, is that we're applying contemporary standards to movies that aren't about yes. people people using contemporary standards. But see, I'm not That's doing all that. I meant to say with, with Meek's uh, cutoff. I'm, I'm not really doing that. I'm, I'm actually okay. more looking at, uh, if, if anything, if you wanted to try to sort of belabor that point would be to say that looking if we if we want to look back that anything that was abusive is abusive but but uh, let's just take the word abusive off the off the table it's just that as i was watching the film i i started to wonder how is this family going to 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 develop and mm-hmm. and what are we going to find out is in this household and it's it's clear that that there is regret in this household and there is shame in this household and that and kelly even said something bizarre about <laughs> about this giving lie just because uh, Sean Penn is taking an elevator into a skyscraper this gives lie to the fact that there could have been abuse which is a bizarre thing to say um, I just think that that there were there are things in this this movie that are about our relationship or a possible relationship with God or how we don't understand God just as children do not understand their parents mm-hmm. and, and I, I, I you I know don't what, and think I, it's about a, a normal way to raise kids People who are okay. abused don't ride in elevators. I read in a book. Well, I, I, a very I mean, Kelly Wand, I mean, I think what you're getting at is that, uh, you know, obviously Jack grows up to be well-adjusted enough to be successful. Yeah. But but to be fair, we don't know what sort of demon. The fact that he once a year lights a candle and thinks, I mean, he's obviously been deeply, deeply affected by his brother's death and his father's his relationship to his father. Um, but Kelly one, I think was just sort of goofing around saying that he's obviously a successful rich fella. You know, anybody, one of the things too, early on in a movie, when I noticed, man, these people have nice houses. I hope at some point in the movie will address how they get to live in a house. So awesome. <laughs> so I think the idea is yeah. that Sean Penn is very successful at what he does, but here's a character who's obviously haunted by his childhood, uh, by what's happened to him, his relationship to his father. Well, and also um, too, when he says on the phone, uh, I miss him every day, but I shouldn't have said what I said. I mean, that just doesn't sound like something you'd say to the to the father who'd abused you. I don't know. That's what I got. Out Again, of it. it's the word abuse. It's the word yeah, abuse. Yeah. But I, I, I do want right. to definitely have used that word. But I definitely want to agree. And I love that you mentioned this, Dingus, because it reminded me of something I hoped was going to happen in Super 8. In Super 8, there's a lot of what's the child's perspective on the, the problems a parent is having. And Super 8 is so stupid about it. It doesn't even really – you think it might get into that. It doesn't. We end up seeing a separate subplot about the parents dealing with their own crap, whatever. This was such a brilliant example of that. What is a child's perspective on adult grown-up problems? How mysterious are they? How scary are they? Yeah. You know, how scary can a father be? And, and Dingus, while I would, would bridle about the word abuse, you know, fear, being scared, uh, you know, not understanding, you, you know, not comprehending. Why is my father doing this? Why is he acting that way all of that was just fantastic and you know it reminded me a bit of uh in the willy wonk wait what's the there's the terrible tim burton one but there, is it willy wonk in the chocolate factory it's the gene wilder one yeah yes 
Yeah. So I just remember watching that movie and thinking, what a great statement on how incomprehensible and scary fathers can be. (laughs) Uh, And that might be part of why that movie freaked me out as a child is uh, I hadn't seen it since I was a little kid and I recently watched it. I was like, wow, that movie was great. And Gene Wilder was this great, uh, incomprehensible, scary dad figure. But this movie nailed that that idea of, you know, how can a child comprehend these adult issues and how must they look to him? so I loved that sense. And again, very much like God, you know, how can you understand God? Um, and it, it, so it reminded me, that's why I opened with the music from A Serious Man, is both A Serious Man and Tree of Life seem to me to be very much about these same kinds of issues. Yeah. Uh, and specifically about the book of Job. You know, there's a lot of references to Job in, in A Serious Man, and this movie opens with a, a line from from Job. Um Hmm. To, to answer specifically your question, though, because I dodged it for a second there just because I wanted to get something off my chest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked Hunter McCracken in this, uh, and he had a really tough job, I think. You're uh, telling me, yeah. That whole thing, just just the thing of going into the house to get the woman's slip, you know, and then dealing with his brother and shooting his brothers. There's just but, – but specifically, the, the moment that really – I was like, wow, is that moment when the kids are when he's with the kids in that sort of state of nature with all the boys and he's trying to decide whether he's going to break that window or not. And the things that are happening there and what's going on in his face, it's he's not yeah. he's not as as uh, ethereal as somebody like Cameron Bright, but he doesn't have to be. He's just he just has this sort of emotion about him that really pulled me in. But it was still tough to read him. In the way that, and I never remember the the guy from Animal Kingdom's name, but in the way that that guy was kind of tough to read. James Frisch, I think. Thank you. Um, the, he he seemed like the the kid who was who was most like his father, which he says at one point. He's like, I'm more like you than I am like her. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And you see him, you see the fathers molding him. And in maybe some of it's genetics, maybe it's not. But you see him molding that kid to be like him. And I thought that kid was great. Did you like him? I, I loved him, and you, you know James Frasch was kind of like, and I'm, maybe I'm getting his name wrong. I hope not. He he was a, a sort of Frashville. Frashville. There you go. I knew it was longer. Uh, he was sort of a weird blank ex- expressionless slate for a lot of the movie. But this kid, though, I thought was so incredibly expressive. Like you're right. He's he's real cagey because. He's he's kind of, you know, around his father, he's shy and reserved. He's not sure he's doing the wrong thing. And, you know, a lot of times he's set up to not have any option. You know, he's, he's set up to fail by his father. Uh, I, I distinctly remember uh, once getting in trouble with a babysitter who's an older woman that we used to get dropped off with while my mom was at work. And I'd done something wrong. And the babysitter would – this woman would call us in if you did something wrong and make you stand in front of her and just give you a talking to. And you couldn't sit down. And it was just the tedium of it. It was difficult. You know, I never got like whooped or spanked or anything as a kid. But I distinctly remember at one point this woman telling me, asking me, why did you do that? And as soon as I would start to answer her, she would say, I don't want to hear any excuses. Why did you do that? <sighs> And I, I was that was this great, you know, when have you stopped beating your wife moment? And I just remember <laughs> identifying a few of those with Brad Pitt and that boy where that boy was just set up to fail. There was nothing he could do. You know, it is you know what? It, it 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 was a sense of a beat down, which leads a little bit into what you're saying, Dingus. Yeah, I mean, and that's there is a certain dysfunction to that. I'll, I'll definitely grant you that. Um, and I think it made him that way, like it made him sort of more closed and sort of subdued but still 
for this child actor to, to convey that and still be so incredibly expressive was just a beautiful thing to watch. Him and that younger boy, too. That, uh, that I, you know, that younger boy's I trust you moment where he's telling him to stick the wire in the lamp was just heartbreaking for it's just how genuine and honest and sincere. I mean, you see a kid actor like that, you've got something special. I mean, that's it's like that little tiny girl in the fall, that Tarsem movie. I mean, to be able to capture that sort of childlike honesty on film is just magical and far more impressive than any of the special effects in the movie, I thought. Uh, so, so many great kid performances. And I just want to mention briefly there's one moment, and this wasn't a performance because there's got to have been that something was going on where they had the little, little younger version, maybe four years old of him, being introduced to the infant the first time. And oh my God, that little boy looking at that baby and the stuff going through his eye, you know, behind his eyes and on his face, and and you know, being angry and throwing the toys. I that moment again, I just felt privileged to get to watch something so incredibly authentic as that. Just fantastic stuff with kid actors in this movie. And I'm so glad you reminded me of that because there's a moment where the mother is like taking the baby away or protecting the baby. Yep. And then goes back to him. That's oh, you're right. Oh, that's a great. And there's then there's a there's also a moment you just called to mind with that thing about the babysitter, where where the infant version of Jack is reaching for a piece of cake and there's this like old, <laughs> nasty woman like teaching him a lesson. About hey, that was Fiona Shaw. Oh, How dare you? <laughs> is she the Racist. one who said you'll get over it or there's still there's, Yeah, yeah. You've, you've still got, got the other two. Oh. Yeah. But you know what? She meant well. I, felt, I mean, again, I felt that was the sort of thing where in a modern movie, this would be a sign of the, the clueless, uh, you know, hapless comforter. <laughs> but I thought she meant well. I mean, I, I didn't think like no, the movie no, was I, too judgmental. Yeah, but she's teaching him a lesson. And he took – you know, they offered – it looked like we're offering you a piece of cake. And he took the cake, but he did it in the wrong way somehow. Right. No, no. I meant the you still have two left. Like when right, she was right. comforting uh, – yeah. But uh, yeah, it, it, I, I can't believe you'd call Fiona Shaw that, Dingus. How dare I didn't you? mean to. That was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I love the way that you use the word cagey for him because because of the way he shifts, you know, the, the slamming of the screen door after dad's. Yes, gone. that's a really great word to use because he's so careful around dad. And as soon as dad's gone, he's just going to run amok. And he right. shows it. He's just he's just got this this evil joy, not evil in that way, but just this glee where I'm going to yeah. slam this door and we're going to break stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... And. It all came from stars. <laughs> uh, let's talk a bit about uh, – did you guys lose patience at all with some of the artsy stuff and the voiceover and the shots of birds flocking? Uh, I mean that's very Malick. Did that ever bother you or did you ever think this is too self I love those birds because the, I knew they weren't CG and I was like, oh, you got the birds. <laughs> I just Get them, Malick. Whether they were those bats that, that people talk about in Texas – you know, at night in some Texas towns, you see hundreds and thousands of bats flying around. And I knew he just loved that image of those black birds at Sunday. Right. And I just thought, are those bats? <laughs> well, I think that's how Terrence Malick shoots. I forget. As who... opposed to the Twilight director. Catherine Hardwick? Ah, your name. She did a she. Oh, she it's did a woman who directed Twilight. I don't know that. She did. Uh, I don't know if she did all the Twilight movies, but she did a good movie before Twilight called Thirteen. Uh, she was in uh, the one with Chloe Sevigny. No, it was with Rachel 
Evan Wood and a really annoying girl named Nikki. Uh, anyway, it's about it's with Holly Hunter. With Holly Hunter. Anyway, the the Twilight director used to be good. I just wanted I just wanted to defend her. I haven't seen the Twilight movies. I wanted to defend her briefly there. Sure, you haven't. <laughs> but Terrence Malick, uh, I think I've seen in an interview that the way he'll shoot is he'll have the whole shot set up, but then he'll see a pattern of like water running down a leaf mm-hmm. and he'll shut everything down and say, get this, you know, shoot this here. And that's so I was so kind of aware of that watching him shooting things like, you know, like lava hitting the water, the geometry of the skyscraper. Uh, um, but but I, I love that. I mean, I love that it. You know, the stuff that made people get up and leave is stuff that I love. Yes, it always is. Every time people leave, I go, oh, yeah, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) The more that people walk out, the better the movie is my new theory. Uh, Okay, what did you guys think? Dingus, how did you feel about there being dinosaurs in this movie? Because it sounds to me like you looked up the name of one of them or you consulted an expert in your household. (laughs) Uh, I I have a dinosaur expert that I live with. And um, I believe that uh, that first uh, not the not the um, not the water dinosaur, the first one, the, the Loch Ness. Lasmosaur. That was the Loch Ness monster. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, the, I'm not sorry, the Loch Ness monster, not the Elasmosaur, the Loch Ness monstrosaurus, <laughs> but the one you first see in the in the woods before uh, it's it's injured. I think that's a Parasaurolophus. And I just remember that word because I just love the way it sounds. And and when my son learned that word, he he was the first one to learn it and was constantly correcting us. So yes, there there's a dinosaur expert. I don't know if it was a Parasaurolophus, but I just love that word. Isn't Parasaurolophus the medical word for heartburn? Uh, no, I think that might be. So what did you guys think then of I I. Did I see – I'm not sure if I saw this in this movie. Did I see a scene featuring a compassionate velociraptor? Yeah. I like that. Well, it was a, I don't think it was a Take that, audience not walking out. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dingus, yeah, correct me. What did I see? Uh, well, well, it was, it was a, a carnivore. It was probably, um, I don't know, a, a troodon or something. I, I don't know what it was, but it was not a velociraptor. And um, was the point that it, this, this was like – Life learning compassion. Is that what I was seeing there? I don't know what to make of that. I loved it. I loved it. Like stepping on the head, stepping on the head. I don't know what was going on there, to be honest. Okay, then I'm going to float a theory. Yay. I think that this is, uh, you know, all this stuff about nature versus grace and basically one being the father, one the mother. I mean, never quite that neat. But there were some important things in the movie about learning things like guilt. You know, when he steals the, the dress and then has to look his mother in the face. I think he even says, don't look at me. You know, that's like about yeah. learning guilt. Um, so I think the movie was occasionally talking about learning compassion and empathy specifically. And... I think that's what I thought I saw with the non-velociraptor opting not to uh, rend and tear, finish off the poor sick animal, dinosaur. But where I love the moment most, and again, I'm not sure I saw what I saw. But so there's the scene where the younger brother says, I trust you with the lamp and his, you know, the older brother's teasing him and making him think he's going to shock him and he doesn't. He earns the trust there. Then there's the scene where he betrays that trust with the BB gun and mm-hmm. shoots him in the finger. Then there's that scene of the two of them standing in front of a window, yes. and the older brother is trying to placate his obviously angry, sullen younger brother about this and apologize. And if I'm not mistaken, did I see in that scene, which we presume grown-up Sean Penn is remembering, the two characters switch places and emotional states at one point? 
What? What are you talking about? What do you mean? So I, I think, think the younger you're right. The younger brother but, was sitting down. But I want to older... come back to something. Go ahead what you're saying, but can I just put a place marker here? I want to come yep, back yep. to something. Go yep. ahead. Put a marker. I'm making a mark here. So I think the younger brother sitting down. The older brother standing up. The younger brother looking obviously like stricken and upset. The older brother trying to placate him. And then for near the end of the scene, it switches their positions where the younger brother is sitting down looking stricken. The older brother who shot him with the BB gun is sitting in the younger brother's place, sitting on there looking stricken with that same look in his face and it shows the younger brother where he would be so i think it's this the implication is that he is learning to put himself in to empathize to put himself in somebody else's position and i think that's a little a, a, maybe it's crazy but i think that might be a callback to what we were shown with the dinosaur i don't know maybe i just made a note because i thought that's what i saw i could be wrong well so I think it's, go ahead i go really ahead. love that go ahead kelly Oh, I loved it too, but I was going to say the dinosaur does kind of leave that other dinosaur to die slowly instead of just ending his mercy killing him. We had not learned mercy killing yet. That, uh, that was, yeah, that'll that'll be in the sequel, Tree of Life Two. Tree here. I have a place mark here, Dingus, to back up a few minutes. What did you want to go back to? Um. Oh, gosh, I've got so many place markers I want to put. I'm going to say the word attic, and then I'm going to go forward and say this. My actual place marker is I don't think, and I want I want to not think this, and you keep saying it, and, it, and I keep wanting to say this. I don't want to think that these things are flashbacks of Sean Penn's. That I just want to think that we're watching the narrative, and we're and the filmmaker is giving us a flash forward into – what the reality is in the future. I don't want to think that everything that happens in this film is based on the reality of what that character is flashing back to. I, I want to endorse your measure. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, then I think it will carry forward. Uh, but uh, I do say, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, Terrence, Terrence Malick has his own style, whatever, but I, right. I, I'm afraid that we might have seen some weird shenanigans like that with the, Older brother imagined himself in the younger brother's position. I, well, you know what, though, Dingus? We see wire work. There is Jessica Chastain oh. wire work in this movie. So there are times yeah. where we are, we are not seeing the objective reality, I'm afraid. Uh, and what, what is, when does that happen again? Because I loved that. What, That's she's just talking fairly, about flying. She's talking about the time she took a plane ride. Uh, I don't remember it being that connected. You might be right. To me, it was just a, here's, here's this idea of mothers as magical fairies. You know, they show her in the glass coffin is this like sleeping princess thing. So I, that, yeah, but I'll, I'll I, I like you putting it there, Dingus. If it's not there, it should be re-edited to be they there. They ask her to tell, <laughs> tell them a story so and Wendy said. tell them something she doesn't know. And she says, uh, I took a plane ride once. And then we get this whole sequence in the plane and the way right. the plane is flying. And then I think that's right after you see her doing this weird ballet dance in the air that and i just want to say that the line was actually tell us something from before we could remember oh yeah yeah and i by the way again I, that just makes me think of religion you know the way that that folklore and oral tradition and old testaments are passed down i just love that as being a way you know in, inform me about the world and where i come from and what this all means uh, tell us about something from before we could remember yeah i, w I want to ask you guys something um can you help Wait, hold that, thought, hold, that, hold that thought before you ask something. Right. Uh, again, to make my empathy point, uh, the, the boy with the scabbed head, uh, with the, some kind of mange on the back of his head, I think there was, there was a, you know, he's, there's also a shot of a mangy dog. Uh, and there's shots of, 
of the older brother's reaction to the boy with the scabbed head and how that boy kind of weirding some of the other boys out. And I also think there's a very definite point where he puts his hand on that other boy's shoulder mm. uh, and tries to empathize with him. So, so again, just as far as there being points about learning to empathize with other people, you know, that's an important thing that you learn as children, important part of religion. Um, so I'm sorry, Dingus, go ahead. So but that, okay. that was also a point about how things happen. Cause I think the, wasn't the boys, wasn't that boy the idea that he had been damaged in a fire and we'd seen the, the house burning and it was like, Oh, I didn't even you, think of that. You might you be let right. things happen. And then we see that boy's head and it's like he had been burned. Those and, did look like burns. You're right. Yeah. I was thinking it might've been some kind of, I was thinking of a counterpart to the mangy dog, but you're right. There was that fire. Yeah. And that did look like burns uh, where his hair didn't grow back. So good point. Yep. So what so, about the mangy? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Well, all the dogs. This is the worst dog-looking film I've ever seen. <laughs> These are authentic dogs, Dingus. These are not show dogs. This is what real dogs look like. <laughs> this is ugly dog town. I just love. I, I love passing the dog to the back seat, for instance. Just how clumsy that was. Some great dog work. <laughs> There's something in that scene that was weird too. It seemed the mother was in that car for a minute and then gone. And I just got so confused. So when you talk about that empathy switch with the brothers, I can totally accept it because there were a lot of times and with the voiceover as well where I had trouble tracking who was talking and who was in a scene. And that I thought the mother was in the car and then the dog got passed back and she wasn't anymore. <laughs> that's that's because that was Sean Penn's memory of that moment. OK, <laughs> we're all part of the same nebula, man. If you go back far enough. <laughs> So just let me ask you, fellas, um, there were a couple moments here where I felt David Lynch jumped in and it was when there was this super tall yeah. dude in the attic and a, yeah. and a tricycle. And then there was a there was a mime at one point. And a, and a there was weird... no mime. What you... Oh, no, that was a clown. That was not a mime. That was a clown doing a job that you have, I believe, held dingus. No, there the was clown... no... There was a mime. There was a there was a relative doing mime and then a weird old relative. Oh, right, saying, right. That... Go to sleep. Okay. We'll see you in five years. And yes. there was—I didn't know what those, what to make of those. Almost, especially the dude in the attic. This weird sort of—I don't know—Lynchian thing. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, that attic. I didn't know what to make of that. I'm kind of sorry you brought that up. Sorry about <laughs> I was, that. I was loving the movie until you did that. <laughs> Kelly, Wan, can you shed some light? What, what was going on with that attic scene? It's like uh, the closest to 2001 we've gotten since Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of like there was the weird and I knew that what he was going for here with the birth idea, this idea of or and, and it's, you know, birth and then the later birth being, you know, the loss of innocence, growing up, coming of age, whatever. The flooded bit child's bedroom, oh, I you love know, that. The, the underwater. I love that, too. Uh. And, yeah. And so I think maybe there the attic was something like that, that I just didn't quite get what he was going for. That uh, was a sequence from Hannah that got cut where it was an actual <laughs> the attic, yeah. I don't know. What There's the something about the window there, though, and it happened after this thing where I'm interpreting Brad Pitt not letting the baby look out the window. And there's this window at the end of this weird attic and a table. And then this, then the attic comes back, and there's this tall man who's looking around. And I couldn't get what was going on there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with. I can't help you, Dingus. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, I had a similar. Uh, sort of ha huh moment with uh well I, again it's sean penn stuff so i don't even want to bring it up uh, uh yeah. <laughs> sean penn. you guys would yeah. be too hard on him i think 
Here's here was my real confusion. This movie, what, two and a half hours long, I guess. For two and a half hours, and is this just me? I swear to God, I was positive. I was a hundred percent positive because I didn't know who was in this movie either. I was pretty sure I was watching Dallas Bryce Howard, Bryce <laughs> Dallas Howard. You're terrible. I, I, no, why is that terrible? I mean, I really throughout this movie, I'm like, oh look, she, you know, she's she's good. What is that just me? Are you saying it was like The Village because the ending oh. was similar? <laughs> Kelly Wand, wait. If I didn't have more things to say, I would have dropped a little <laughs> I know. This is when I start taunting you. <laughs> but wait, seriously, am I the only one who thought that? You guys did not think it was Bryce Dallas Howard. She was hotter than Bryce Dallas Howard. Wait, that wasn't a question. Um, <laughs> no offense, Bryce Dallas Howard. I, uh, you know. Yeah, a little bit, actually. Dingus, was that? Did that? Do you even know who Bryce Dallas Howard is, Dingus? Uh, I do, and I think uh, what was she in that I really liked her in? Spider-Man Three. Spider- <laughs> you love that movie. Thank you. Uh, I yeah, I can't think of what. I know she's been good in stuff, but I can't think of anything offhand. But I can't uh, either. No, I didn't think it was her. I I at the very beginning I got confused because I thought they were swapping two different redheaded actresses. And uh, it seemed like they were doing like an older, younger thing. And then I started to think, does Brad Pitt have two different families he's raising? Because that redheaded actress doesn't look like that one. <laughs> I was confused from the beginning. So I can't help you with uh, with with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. I thought it was Kate Blanchett. No, you didn't. Nice uh, try. I thought it was Tilda Swinton. Oh. I hey, Kelly Wallen. Want to eat a grasshopper? Uh, wait, is this Kung Fu? <laughs> you didn't catch that in the kid lines. I loved that. That was right before uh, I found a dinosaur bone. There was a there was a lovely little want to eat a grasshopper. <laughs> Wait, when's that happen? Does he eat it? It's uh, when the kids are playing to that Brahms. I loved that sequence too. By the way, and I loved Dingus. You you credited Alexander Desplat for the music, but I love that he used so much classical music in this. Uh, you know, the kids playing to the Brahms was just fantastic, and that's yeah. where the want to eat a grasshopper came from. Uh, it made sense because he heard it as a kid because his dad was like but he didn't but does that mean he's a sean penn <laughs> see, see you hate the sean penn part so much you hate thinking that that's the same character that's my theory it's like oh, get it <laughs> he grows up to be antonio banderas god it's in a different elevator it's an escalator well what i love about it is it's uh it, it's um Terrence Malick using the the best of Western tradition, whether it's the Book of Job or Brahms. I mean, there's so much great stuff to draw from. You don't I'll always need it, to write a whole new story or score a whole get a whole it, new score. If know. his adult had been played by Vince Vaughn, you wouldn't have thought he was abused. Or Paul Walker. <sighs> Stop saying that like it's all one word. <laughs> like Kelly Wand, right? Yeah. Paul Walker could have done this role, and Vin Diesel could have been the um, other dude. That's a good one too. The father. Uh, Kelly, one you mentioned the fountain. Uh, what were what you you think there are, there are points of continuity with the fountain? Well, what's real, and what's death, and what's space, and what's the nebula? <laughs> uh, what's conquistadors? Because that was the not the fifties, but the fifteen fifties. This did have a lot of good nebula settings, just like the fountain. Yeah, I'll give you that. Good. Okay. You think? You think Aronofsky watched Tree of Life and went? Pfft. <laughs> 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 Been there. <laughs> uh, 
did you guys get the line? Because I this this tripped me up a little bit too because I had to sit there and think about it, so I wasn't paying attention to the movie for about seven or eight minutes while I parsed this. Did you guys get the line? An officer must be present for the laying of the keel, but not the launching. <laughs> Navy, a Navy. It's a na- It's something that the Navy believes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that took me a little bit. Kelly, Wan, did you understand that? Because if not, I can explain it to you after <laughs> after puzzling it over. I had to I had to it write out me, some diagrams. It made me giggle after I heard it, and I didn't want to giggle right then. <laughs> hmm. What's a keel? <laughs> so uh, you you guys have both mentioned folks leaving the audience. I did write down two comments I heard as soon as the credits came up. Yeah. Uh, the first, so the very first title card is directed by Terrence Malick. Uh, the woman behind me said out loud, where did I write this? Said out loud, she, she had to read the title card first. She goes out loud, Terrence Malick? I'm never coming back to see anything by him. <laughs> You're gonna you know the funny part is? She, she might, because she, she'll totally, if she didn't know who he was, she would, she'd forget again, and then another five years goes by, and then, all right, you know, Aquaman by Terrence Malick. And then from a separate woman behind me and, and down several seats, uh, after a while, you know, maybe six or seven title cards into the credits, uh, the woman sighed and just said, I'm not as deep as that person. Oh. <laughs> Don't tell yourself short, Judge. You're a true slouch. Wait, so women did like it. Here's the dialogue that went on in my theater right after it, it stopped. There was a, there was a, some old folks, older folks sitting next to me, and then a, 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 another gentleman a little farther from them who was, I don't know, maybe 60 or so. And as soon as the film ended, he said, I, I guess we can talk now. <laughs> and then the woman in the couple said, I need somebody to explain this to me. Oh God. And that guy said, besides a lot of pretty pictures and nice music. Yeah. Besides all the acting and dialogue. <laughs> all they had to say. Oh God. These credits <laughs> sure are long. People walked out during that. Really, during the uh, the birth of of the universe thing, or birth of the world. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I think it was uh, Charlie Kaufman knew to do that in about thirty seconds in adaptation because that did the same <laughs> kind of thing. He's like, "I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to. I don't want anyone walking out of my movie, so I'm just going to compress it into a thirty second gag." Uh, <laughs> mm. I forgot. Did you know God can speed create, Paul? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 So that was part one of our Tree of Life podcast. Next week we will be continue discussing it for part two. I seriously, I mean, I could, I got a lot more I could have said about this. Uh, I'll listen to you. Turn the music back off. <laughs> I, don't I do want to say, what is it about a little baby's foot that makes you want to put it in your mouth and go nom, 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 until the baby starts laughing? Because then you realize it's not a veal calf you can just eat. <laughs> no, you don't eat it to make the baby laugh. There were scenes of baby feet. There's a, a shot of Brad Pitt with the baby feet in front of his face. And I'm like, you know, you got to open your mouth and put that baby foot in there and go nom, 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 until the baby giggles. I just... That was a missed opportunity. They, they, I, it made uh, and me the ba- think of the uh, trailer for the Jason Bateman movie where he gets poo in his face from the baby. Yeah, Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, exactly that same sort of thing. Right, right. Jason Bateman <laughs> switches bodies with uh, Sean Penn. 
So if you didn't see Tree of Life uh, and you have just skipped forward to our 3x3, before we do the 3x3, real quick, I just want to ask, what would you guys say about Tree of Life to someone who hasn't seen it, like just a general middle American person in Peoria or whatever? Would you recommend this movie to them or what would you say about it? Normal movie going person. Kelly Wan, what would you say about Tree of Life? You're probably too stupid to like it, but you should see it anyway. (laughs) I hope they didn't come out wrong. Dingus, what would you have to say to a normal person about this? I would have to spend a lot of time in the uh, in an interview with them first. If, you know, it really does go to what? Why do you go to movies? You right. know, what do you just want to go to? Just turn off your brain and be entertained. Are you willing to experience the sort of cinematic equivalent of what might be inscrutable poetry? poetry uh, yeah, is, so I, yeah, exactly. I was yeah. just going to say, uh, how do you feel about having poetry read to you? Right. <laughs> you know what I liked about it is like I couldn't picture the Sean Penn character going to ah, Tree of Life. Okay. Right, right. Like he, he'd go, <laughs> fuck that metaphysical bullshit. I'm going to go see Green Lantern, bitches. There is, there is something to be said about it. It's got five that. nebulas in it. <laughs> Sorry. All right, well, let's do this week's 3x3. Three three. Uh, this week's 3x3, three three, uh, I guess you could use Tree of Life maybe in this one. What? A couple of occasions. There were creatures designed. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. So I don't want you guys to tell me about your favorite creature designs. That's That discussion has been done. What I want from you guys are what you feel are the three most underappreciated creature designs. Uh, now, underappreciated, granted, that's a very subjective term, so do with it as you will. But what I'm mainly looking for are creatures that you feel more people should see as, as far as the design. And I'm uh, also curious about what you think goes into a good creature design. Uh, hmm. So uh, we will be uh, doing three of these. Kelly Wand, you will be starting us off since you have next week's 3 by 3 What oh, do you have boy. for us for your third most underappreciated creature design? And is it from Super 8? No, that creature, you can't get a good look at it, so I couldn't pick it because I never got to see it. Unlike Cloverfield, which I at least got a couple frames of. I'm just going to do the whole podcast in that voice from now on. I like that voice, but I like that you use it. It's like italics. It's like writing the part that you would write in italics. It's air quotes for the audio medium. Right. Podcastery. But... Thinking about creature design, Tom, is something I do anyway while I'm masturbating. So I was thinking, um, <laughs> speaking of which, uh, there's a lot of tentacles in a lot of creatures. I think it's over a lot. That's the overappreciated creature mm-hmm. design. Yes. That's not what you're asking. So No, 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 but I'm agreeing with you. I like where you're going, so carry on. Uh, also, <laughs> ghosts... Um. I've seen them in sheets, so that should be never done again. Like, that's the statute of limitations. Because I don't think... I don't think that's the statute of limitations. Three and my number two. Go ahead. (laughs) Before you get to yours, just get get to my number one. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like those. And also, giant bugs are just bugs. And also, uh, Hollow Man, he was just invisible, so that's not a creature. So maybe you could tell us what what is a creature design that you approve of that you think should be more appreciated. Does Rodney Dangerfield count as a creature? It's totally up to you. Try again, Tom. You can do it. <laughs> uh, can I say no? What about young Jane Seymour? <laughs> <sighs> All right, my number three is uh, The Body Snatchers from 1978. But I'm talking about the very opening scene. Because you see them, they're kind of like jellyfish uh, spirochetes or something. 
and they don't look scary at all. So it's like your one chance to see them. You go, oh, they're not that bad. It's just when they get into us that they turn scary. Now, I actually in earnest think – who did maybe Douglas Trumbull do that sequence? Because it has a whole like things drifting through alien worlds. Yeah, and you see their home world and it's not – And they're just like – they're like little jellied bits. They're little yeah, things uh, of jelly or something. You're right. It's like they're just trying to survive. Like they don't seem malefic at all. Well, I, and when they when they first land, there's a bit, and this is where Robert Duvall as a priest is on a swing, and I'm not making any of that up. No. And that's he has no lines, and he's just in that one shot. Uh, they they land and they become little flowers that someone picks, right? That the girl picks, and yeah, so they they go from like little bits of jelly, floating jelly, to little innocuous looking flowers that this girl can't identify. Yeah, and then they turn us into dust, and then the garbage yep. trucks come pick us up. Spoiler alert. You know what I like that, and you know Kelly. Want, oh, sorry, I cut someone off. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, I like too the ecology that that you know Alien will later is Alien after yeah Aliens after Invasion uh, is it what year is Invasion of the Body Snatchers seventy eight and Alien seventy nine ah very good so right. so Alien will later give us a more famous sense of alien ecology but I love how that Donald not Donald Kaufman what's his name Philip Kaufman, oh, Kaufman. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's just like, you know, we're not just going to throw a giant bug or guys in flying saucers at you. Here's an ecology. Right. Uh, and there there was none of that, by the way, in the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it, which is just about communists, basically. Uh, right. Which are really scary, but not as scary as plants from space to me. That's the thing, too, is like I was trying – I made someone watch it because I was trying to win an argument about a project like – that plants could be scary and he's all plants aren't scary big book they're just leaves set them on fire they're rooted they can't chase you like, no no body snatchers he's all Ugh. so we had to watch it and then yeah the traditional scary plant thing is i guess day of the triffids which looks ridiculous uh yeah i like those too though because they blind you wasn't that their thing like the triffids well, right. whip you with tentacles right so it has to make you more vulnerable so any yeah. creature that basically has to cripple you before it can be scary i yeah i'm 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 with your friend then <laughs> the plants can't be scary but i do like your uh your take on invasion of the body snatchers yeah because you don't see like they could like a lesser mind than the one that would give us robert duvall in a swing two minutes later for no fucking reason, and a point of view shot of him on the swing. Um, yeah, oh yes, that point of view shot sells it. By the way, absolutely, it's so creepy. And like, who? How did he think of that? I know. I'll put Robert Duvall on a swing, in a priest outfit. So you think it's like Exorcist thing? Well, the thing um, is, it makes perfect sense for one reason, Kelly Wand. It what? was the seventies. Uh, that's, that's no, no. That's how they did movies. They did them. They did weird, good stuff like that. That's just, that's I saw it more as look. It's what look how humans, even priests, are like. They, they like swings, but the body. Sna- but at the end of the movie, see, it's cool too because <laughs> you see the body snatchers at work. Like he still goes to like they still have a health inspection bureau that Donald Sutherland works at. Like they still go. Like there's that means that someone's still putting rat turds in the food at the French restaurant, so he has to still go there, even though. There's no emotions involved. Kelly, when I don't think you can explain, there's no way to explain having a shot of Robert Duvall as a priest in a swing with a POV shot using any other rationale other than it was the 70s. Oh. I don't think there's any narrative explanation for that other than it was a cool thing that that's the kind of thing they would do in the 70s. But you're the guy who's always good at finding these. Well, maybe that's why you're saying even you can't crack this. (laughs) Right. Interesting. Well, it could have been John Cazal. Just saying. Think about that. All right. Very good point. Thinking now. No, it's not. Hey, you. 
All right, so Invasion of Body Snatchers, Kelly Wan's number three underappreciated creature design. Uh, a unique choice. Very interesting. Provocative. Uh, Dingus, what do you got to follow that? <laughs> a heavy sigh. Whose Sorry, that is- topic was this? Tom's was. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mine will neither be unique nor provocative, and I don't know that it's really underappreciated, except I've heard both of you make fun of the idea of choosing it, I think. Or being dismissive of it. So I'm going to latch onto that as possibly underappreciated. Or or maybe because I... Go ahead, Kelly. You go ahead and spat off. (laughs) Keep listing creatures, Kelly Wand. (laughs) Uh, Dingus, and by the way, I just want to say before you mention it, I I feel that being dismissed by Tom Chick and Kelly Wand is a perfect criteria for underappreciated. So what you pick, I think I I will support this. Go ahead. (laughs) Well, mainly it was dismissed by me when I first saw it, and I've come to appreciate it, especially having seen Super 8. And so this is a fairly obvious choice, especially since Kelly has already said it, and it's uh, it's the creature in Cloverfield. Um, I don't know that he really fits what you're talking about as far as underappreciated is concerned, but I really had a hard time with this topic because I just couldn't think of a lot of creatures nobody knows about or appreciates. Um, and, but I complained about the Super 8 creature last week. I complained about the design of it because it seemed arbitrary and cobbled together. Um, and then I went back and watched, uh, Cloverfield again, because I kind of remember not really responding to that creature either. And, and I really then remember as I've watched Cloverfield more and more and started to like that movie more and more kind of falling for the way that creature is done because it seems increasingly to be this, uh, panicked, um, this panicked being. And, and so I, I watched it again and, and, and all that thing with all the parasites and the way the creature is flailing about. And then, and then I started reading about the creature too, and their whole mythology about the creature as this infantile organism that's been awakened and is entirely panicked and, and, and is in, is destructive because of its panic and fear and I like the way that creature is designed and the way we see its design. We don't see a lot of it, but we see enough of it. We see its limbs. We see the possibility that it could walk on – it could be bipedal or it could be quadrupedal or whatever you would say. I don't know what it is. Um, but I get this idea of it being this fearful creature and these these parasites that are on it. And I, I don't know if they're it's young or if they're just parasites or what they are. I haven't read enough to really know. Uh, but I like the idea of these parasites that live on it, and then it sheds them when it's on land. And maybe this is because of its panic or because of some hormone or something. I don't know. But I really like the design of that creature and the way it's destroying the city and what we see of it, not as a malevolent force but as a fearful force. And I get that from just looking at the creature design and the few – shots that you see of it including the the final shot of right before hud is is dispatched hud so there you go it's i don't know what the creatures i think the military calls it some large aggressor or something i don't know what it's, it's called. not called cloverfield isn't that the name i, th- of it, I think it, it it's nicknamed clover I, I think cloverfield is the whole sort of project or the whole is is the military's file on it and the military ah, calls okay. it a large and l and oh, i forget what it's called a, a large 
an LDA, something like that, an LSA, a large, <laughs> a large scale aggressor, large scale. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but but I still think that it comes across as this this infant that might develop into something else, and that's why the military is so mm-hmm. freaked out by it. You know what's funny, Dingus, is to hear you talk about that, and I'm remembering you're right, but isn't that what Roland Emmerich tried to do with his Godzilla, which failed completely? I mean, Cloverfield, I think, is an example of succeeding at what Roland Emmerich tried to do, but didn't he try to make Godzilla a scared, angry lizard trying to run off? And, and weren't there, like, little Godzillas that popped off of him or something? Oh, I may be remembering the role. Laid of eggs. I just remember that. Uh, that laid eggs. Being okay. So dark, you couldn't see any of the creature. Um, and well, in Cloverfield, at the at the end, when it get when it gets light, you can see it. So yeah. you know, I don't know that. I think that you're right. I, I and that's why I'm sort of shy about the underappreciated thing. Well, and I do think that Cloverfield is, you know what, an underappreciated by you or only recently appreciated by you. Either way, that's it's a fine criteria to use. But I do think Cloverfield is. Uh, like a great example. Well, I think it, it like the the genius behind that design. I, I think it gets credit for. Maybe not enough because the movie is a found footage thing and you don't get to admire it so much. But I love how he looks familiar yet different. There are just enough twists on him where he's not just a standard lizard. Uh, there's enough familiarity with basic Godzilla stuff, but there's something weird and kind of spider-like about him. And, and that was one of the really disappointing things in Super 8 is it just felt like J.J. Abrams was just trying to ape this great design that Matt Reeves had in Cloverfield. Yeah. It's like, how can we do, you know, I, I, my thunder's been stolen. Let me just do what I can to sort of riff off that that design. Um and but, that's but yeah. one of the things that pissed me off about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Something I would say, like, I think it's a great choice, and I'm a huge Cloverfield apologist, and I love that monster, but I think Dingus is giving it short shrift when he says it was panicked, because I really thought it was a fucking badass. Because Godzilla was always running away. Um, in the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. Yeah, right. the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. He's, like, running away from fucking helicopters. But Cloverfield never runs. He's always attacking everything. He wins every fight we see. <laughs> he annihilates the city, annihilates the army. He's still alive at the end of the fucking movie as Well, Dingus, you, you, you mentioned reading about it, and I think there is a lot of extensive uh, ARG stuff, which is this uh, – I don't even know what ARG stands for. I know what it means. But all this, like, pre-release mythology that, that came out That's and stuff about – Japanese the, company. The character is working for right and it's like an egg but it's stuff about this slusho beverage and i don't know all of it but there's this idea that he's like a monster that got woken up and is angry and it came up out of the deep so dingus what you're talking about i've definitely heard of all of that stuff uh but it also works too because you see the egg fall in that one shot and you can just say oh it's an alien thing like it works even if you don't know all that see now here's all that stuff yeah that's isn't that supposed to be a satellite falling into the ocean right yeah, but you would never know that from the movie. I mean, it's no. all this. Yeah, yeah. But that's what's cool about it to me is you can either way it works. Right. So you're a big J.J. Abrams apologist. So I, I hope you have the appropriate level of uh, affection for Super 8. Who are you talking to? You, Kelly Wand. One of my what? Oh, one well, you know, I, I, you know, Cloverfield was directed by Matt Reeves, but I still think of it as like a J.J. Abrams movie. Uh, well, I, just, he obviously I had to look it up because I remember you giving me permission to watch that first trailer. I don't even know what movie it was before. It's just the Statue of Liberty face trailer. Right. Um, and and all the only name you see is his. I never got panic out of that thing. That's really interesting to me that you see abuse and tree of life. <laughs> Stop. 
episode. <laughs> All right, my number three, uh, I'm going to roll out my geek cred. I don't know if you guys know this about me. I'm a huge Tolkien scholar. Uh, I know a lot about, about J.J.R. I'm a, I know a lot about J.J.R. Tolkien. If you have any questions, you can ask me. So I'm going to bring up a J.J.R. Tolkien creature. He's mentioned in the books, I think. Uh, I, but the movies, I really dug the design in the movies of this creature. There are a bunch of cool creatures in Lord of the Rings movie. Uh, although the orcs, I don't quite get. They look kind of like weird zombie, bunch of extras. Like, I don't know what's going on with the orcs. The creature that I think is underappreciated from the movies, and I love this creature. And in my adoration for this creature, I feel a certain kinship with Sam. There are these things called Muma kills in Lord of the Rings, which are just giant they're like they're like five story tall elephants, but they're also like woolly mammoths with these huge sweeping tusks that stick out. And the the men uh, men of the east, whoever the Haradrim, whatever, bring these things in and they build like forts on their backs uh, and they're shooting arrows down out of them down out of the forts on the back of the Mumakils. And the tusks also have like spikes or threshers like in front of them that they use to sweep back and forth and cut through an army. Uh, and I just love that visual. Uh, there's a Lord of the Rings uh, RTS that we play sometimes. And one of the factions can build Muma kills and they suck in the game. They just die instantly. But I love building those things. Uh, I love the sort of cognitive dissonance of this huge five-story tall creature with little, little teensy ant armies like swarming around its feet. Thinking how impractical that would be because all those dudes would be getting stepped on. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the disparity of the scale and the fact that it's just a big old woolly mammoth slash elephant. Uh, so I don't I really don't know a lot about Tolkien, but but I don't know how much of the Mumakil Oliphant stuff is in the books. But the way those things look in the movies, I'll take one of those over a Nazgul deal any day. So there's my number three. Kelly Wan, you actually are a J.R.R. Tolkien scholar. How much does Tolkien have to say about what the deal is with Mumakils? I think they're in Appendix E. <laughs> uh it's one of the calendar dates the hobbits celebrate his mumikil day tell you what is there any difference between a mumikil and an oliphant uh just the accent <laughs> okay and the umlauts the carrot on the other one uh would you concur though are there is, is that's it's not just me right you guys love mumikils too don't you uh not when they die easily in that game you're talking about. Which faction can get those guys? That's uh. You can't play as Sauron, so how do you make them? You can be. You can get Sauron, and huh? so the, the game is Battle for Middle Earth two. If you get the ring, oh. so Gollum is always running around stealthed on all the maps. If you have something that reveals stealth, you can see Gollum. And if you then kill Gollum, bring the ring back to your fortress, and then spend ten thousand space bucks. If you're playing one of the uh monster races you can bring sauron into the game i thought so, their currency tolkien's currency was unobtainium uh cubes <laughs> that's the avatar game nice try i thought you were talking about lotro uh you know i don't know if there are kills in lotro there should be if there aren't mm, uh, interesting all right so that's my number three have you Kelly never have you ever made fun of those kills? yeah Probably, but right. not that I remember. Why would I make fun of them? They're awesome. I, I slept remember you saying something funny about elephants or something and me thinking, forgetting that you... you oh, that was that time he asked you if you wanted to kiss a one-eared one? Now, yeah. Diggis, are you talking about before I came to appreciate the Lord of the Rings movies? That might that might be true. But okay. no, you came to appreciate them before the second and third movie came out. 
I did not. That's not true. I think that's true. The thing I love about that choice is essentially is really how, and I think you alluded or you said this, uh, how the character reacts to them. And and one of the things that I, I really loved is how, and I think this is in the book, is how Sam reacts and wants to tell his dad about it. And that's what I, I find so wonderful about them is his his reaction of wonder they do exist and i have to tell i, I want to tell the gap right. about this and i i i love i love that uh you know more than than legolas doing you know his, his oh god don't bring uh, that up that's flintstone's credits his, his grinding on the on the horns or fakie or whatever he does because that undermines how, yeah he snowboards and he grapples along the side of them and that, that undermines how cool they are i don't i don't approve of that but sam's sense of wonder uh and and just his connection with his dad and that, 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 you know, the sense again, that you're tapping into, uh, this adventure that this, this, this particular character is on. I really love that. And that's, that's one of the reasons I love that character. So yeah, that's good. Right. Sam's a pretty easy room though. Isn't he kind of blown away by everything? Like, Oh dude, elves. <laughs> yeah. Love it. I love you, Mr. Frodo. This is the greatest trip I've ever had. So fucking good. <laughs> Climbing these mountains forever. He does not appreciate Gollum, so that makes Gollum that's an true character. But he's right. <laughs> Proto's a dumbass. <laughs> Kelly, one. What is your number two choice for an underappreciated creature design? Well, I don't want to spoil pe- this movie for people who haven't seen it, and I don't think you guys have seen it because you're racist and it's a Japanese movie. Um, and I know you guys don't see any post forties. Japanese monster movies, but it's from the little film called Sexual Parasite Killer Pussy. Uh, there's a colon in there. Um, and uh, it's this alien with teeth. Uh, it gets into a woman because she sits on a cooler that it's in, and then uh, it gets to other women. It's really good. So Sexual Parasite Killer Pussy, the, uh, the vagina monster. When it gets what into did- her colon? That's a different uh, sexual parasite. Well, I'm trying to use some discretion here because I know it's a family podcast. I think people have certain expectations. What do you like about the the design of the creature? Yeah. What makes it work for you, Kelly Wand? It's got lots of teeth and it fits and it makes the boobs bigger. And it's like uh, it's similar to the scene in Tree of Life with the dinosaur scene because it's like we're seeing the ecology of – oh, wait. See, Dingus, aren't you glad you asked? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Can you All have right. a mute button on me when I do that? <laughs> Don't encourage him, Dingus. There's also right. killer condom, but that's not as impressive to me. Like, we've all been there. So, Dingus, what would your number two choice be for most underappreciated character design? All right, my number two comes with a special bonus quote. Get it? Ah. Are you ready for the bonus quote? Rock and roll. Bring it. I'm going to get this one. I got a good feeling about this. All right. Here we go. We go home now? Jar Jar. Wait. Uh, Jar Jar. It sounds, it sounds like you're doing E.T. Uh, I hope you're not doing E.T. We E-T. go home now. That's not E.T. doesn't speak in English. And neither does Elliot, so they're off the table. Would I know this, Dingus? Yes, you would. But And you're on the right track with E.T. as far as what E.T. is trying to do. Go home. We go home now. Weeza go home now? Is that the line? It's not Weeza. I'm not talking about the Jeffersons. It's we go home now. So I'm guessing it's something small and cute, but beyond that, I got nothing. 
You're right. So it it's Mila Kunis. It is not Mila Kunis. Peter Nor is it Paul Walker. Walker. Or uh. Peter Paul Walker's not... What's not? What? <laughs> that was Kelly. Uh, I give up. He's I, a real mouthful, that Paul Walker. <laughs> All right. The creature in in question is little Christopher Johnson's son in District 9. Oh, that's a good uh, Man, I forgot about the, the uh, District 9 things. All right. Uh, so go ahead, Dingus. What do you like about that little dude? All right. Um, I kind of feel a little bit guilty about picking this guy because uh i had such an emotion okay the, the the film sets up these aliens and it sets up this great racial prejudicial thing by call by letting the humans call them prawns because they look like you know big gross shrimp and it also lets us feel gross about them because they eat trash and cat food and they seem like gross disgusting creatures um but then it gives us uh, a couple of them that are in or one of them that is very intelligent and it gives us his son who is very intelligent like he is but also really cute um but not not adorable in that sort of little, little puppy way but he's just he he gives us an emotional connection to the father and to these creatures and uh, i love the way i like the way that and this is why I feel guilty about this. I, I like the way this this little guy makes me feel about the whole race of these prawns. And I, I like that he looks like them, but I don't know how to describe it. He he has a personality. I don't know if it's – and you know when we talk about creature design, it's not just physical. It's the way the creature, I guess, is embodied, the way it's voiced, the way it's animated, um, mm-hmm. the way he comes to life. Uh, you get an emotional connection with him and you want him and his father to succeed and you feel that uh, they become a protagonist in a way when the protagonist of the film is going is becoming demented and uh, that's why i love this 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 design is that it's like those other creatures but it's something that we feel an emotional connection to so that we can feel Something also, uh, maybe a sense of empathy, I don't know, for all of those creatures that we were initially disgusted by. And I like that the, the film sort of subverts that and says, you, you're, not le- you're not allowed to feel disgusted by them. Right. And I think what's inherent in the design that you're talking about is that, you know, the design makes it very, very clear when you consider that part of the design is the the animation and the the way the voice acting and i guess i would say that the dialogue works part of the design makes it very very clear that you're looking at a father child relationship uh and that's something everybody understands and that's such an integral part of that little bitty christopher johnson dude is this is the child of a father yeah yeah very good dingus who kelly went what what (laughs) what are you talking about uh, we are talking about uh, underappreciated creature designs, such oh. as the little the little baby prawn in uh, District know, maybe, yeah. District Nine. Am I getting the number right? There's Session Nine, District Nine, Section District Eight. District Nine is it the, is um, nine. District Nine is the one about parkour. I'm talking about District Thirteen. Beat yeah, you're not you're not getting me. Assault nice try. <laughs> Wait. Assault on Precinct Nine. Right. I thought they were called the Navi. So my number two favorite creature design, again, a movie I don't think either of you has seen. It's not a very good movie. In fact, it's 
barely even a movie because it's actually an anthology, uh, which I always feel is cheating. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have enough to make uh, an entire movie, don't make three little mini movies and try to string them together. Uh, so this this movie is three, maybe even four mini horror movies strung together by a framing device. It's not entirely su- successful, but this one little bit of the movie. Uh, I think works greatly, mainly because of the actor Brian Cox and the creature design. Uh, the movie is called Trick or Treat. Trick, <laughs> trick in the letter. It's trick in the letter R apostrophe treat. And uh, a fella named I want to get his name right. Uh, a fella named where's his name? Uh, rats. Michael Doherty. Uh, I think he did it as a graphic novel, and he got a budget together to do it as a movie. So in one of the chapters of this anthology about Halloween horror stories, Brian Cox is this – it's sort of like – he's like a bah humbug Scrooge guy who doesn't want anything to do with Halloween. Uh, and he's a grumpy old man, and a little trick-or-treater comes to his door and then begins to stalk him, and it's gory, and he's fighting this little trick-or-treater. And the trick-or-treater is just a little tiny boy uh, in like orange pajamas with a burlap sack over his head. And he looks kind of cute, you know, but he's a little tiny thing. He's doing all these violent, gory things, and he's attacking Brian Cox, and uh, and the little eye holes in the burlap sack are a little crooked, so he looks kind of askew, and it's, it's adorable. Uh, but it's doing all these gory things to him, and at one point, and this is part of what I love about the design, the burlap sack gets torn off, and you see underneath this really scary skull demon face but it's still a little kid thing in little PJs. Uh, so I just love that part of Trick or Treat. Uh, so, Dingus, I know you haven't seen Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat. Yeah, Kelly, Kelly Wand, have you seen that? No, I don't see movies with apostrophes in the title. Ah, it's probably usually a wise choice. Uh Trick or Treat has, uh, yeah, I, I think for the little bit with Brian Cox and this, I, and I don't even remember what it was called. They may not have named it anything, but there are different stories told about Halloween, and through the different stories, you'll occasionally see the little kid in the background with the burlap sack. It just looks like a little trick or treater. And then in this final story with Brian Cox, he ends up being a little demon, and they fight each other. Uh, so I just loved the design of that little guy, uh, and I feel that it's a shame it was in a crappy movie because it was a great little design. Are you talking about so, Brian Cox? Uh, he's a good design, actually. I like that guy. <laughs> Kelly Wand, what is your number one underappreciated creature design? Hey, I like Halloween because it's the one day of the year I don't have to wear a burlap sack on my head. <laughs> now, By the way, yeah. you already said you don't like creature design. You don't like uh, ghosts uh, as people with sheets over them, I think you yeah. said. Like, that's... That's isn't that Mike Myers in one of the Halloween movies? Mike Myers. Mike, isn't Michael Myers the name of the guy in ha- the murder in Halloween? Oh yeah, I forgot. The Wayne's World character was the killer in Halloween. <laughs> but the, I remember that creepy part from John Carpenter's original Halloween, where the guy has the sheet over him and he's wearing the boyfriend's glass over yeah. the sheet, which is that's the sort of the little like the twist. Yeah, because that means that Michael Myers, there was there was a scene we didn't see in the movie where Michael Myers put a sheet over his head and then put glasses on over it. <laughs> How do you line that up right now? I know. That's terrifying. <laughs> Would that have been like if they'd done that to the same music? Like I'm putting on the glasses. <laughs> um, and that's supposed to be William Shatner's face. Do you know that? He's wearing I've heard that. Shirt. I've heard that. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy that. That sounds like one of those urban legends. But, but what uh, does Shatner think of that? Because we know how litigious he can be. 
I did not know he could be litigious. Is, the, is that is he one of your favorite creature designs? I know he can be sickened. Okay, uh, no. He's my fourth favorite, so he didn't make the list. Yeah, that's too bad. So what? what's the final one that did make the list? What do you got for us? Well, since Worf the Klingon was on a TV show, I had to go with something else. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm going to do a quote. And a little clue for you is a character I identify with. And here's the quote. <laughs> Don't know what that was. <laughs> I heard a lot of distortion. That was but... Basket Case, right? Good, Dingus. You're pretty smart. Yeah, Basket Case. Because, um, you know, everybody loves somebody, and that's kind of the moral. And I like creatures that support that. Now, the creature in Basket Case was just a lump of latex. <laughs> Yeah, but he'd scream, and sometimes he was uh, claymated, so... Oh, you know, I vaguely remember that, yeah. And he would just eat, he, um, I don't know how he got around. They were kind of a little vague on that, like the Muppets, kind of? Um, because he didn't have feet, <laughs> so that means he was walking on his poo. Like Human Centipede? But the Human Centipede couldn't walk, but you'd think the Human Centipede could walk better than Basket Case, but Basket Case, like, lunges at you and jumps around and then bites you and then screams at you. It's not enough that he bites you. Then he screams. So you're getting screamed at by a glob claymation. How fucked up is that? Did the creature in Basket Case have a name? Basket Case? Or I think right. it might have been Larry. <laughs> I think you're making that up. That's one of the three stooges. Larry Johnson. <laughs> Larry uh, is an unappreciated stooge. Right? Save that for that three by three. He was the spine yeah. of the stooge. <laughs> and Mo was the um Your three favorite unappreciated <laughs> And Curly was the testicles because of his head shape and hair. And Shemp was the pancreas. Okay. So right. basket case and Shemp. Wait. So Dingus, what was your favorite or your, your what would you feel is the most underappreciated creature design? Alright, my first two I chose because I felt I'd read and heard people um, talking down those particular movies mm-hmm. and those particular creatures, and I thought they deserved more attention. The last one is underappreciated because nobody has seen it, I think. Mm-hmm. That fits the category. And I don't want to say too much about it, but I really, really want people to see it. And I would have liked to have done this with all three. But I just don't – I don't have – you know, Tom alluded to this when he introduced the category. I don't have the breadth of knowledge of uh, films with creatures that you guys have. I can't tap into uh, Vagina Monster like Kelly was talking about. But you have been plugging away at it by having seen Mega Piranha. So you're well right. on your way, Dingus. Right. So I'll, I'll give a quote to you guys, but but I don't know that you're going to get it. Okay. Mm. The subgroups are Ragofant, Tusalad, Rimtusa, Dovragubin. What the? What are you saying even? Oh, you know what? Is that from Thor where he's naming all of the different realms? <laughs> yes. My favorite what? creature is Thor. Because Anaheim was one of them. Uh, and Thuggle... I, gosh, I don't, have I even seen this, Dingus? You're doing a movie we haven't seen. Interesting. Uh, Tom, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Tell me the name of the subgroups again. What were they? The subgroups are Ragalfant, Tusalad, Rumtusa, Dovragubin. Oh, God, no, of course I know what you're a doing. A lot yeah. of youth. 
Oh, are those the... Oh, I... Wait, one of them's Gryffindor. I know that. You know what, Dingus? Dead gummit. Because I should put this now as my number one. I need to change my answer. I, I'm shocked that you didn't with as many times as you brought it up this weekend. Oh, for Pete's sake. Wow. You know what? I'm going to change my answer to number... I'm going to change my number one to the... You know what? That was my number one. I'm going to put in something that you haven't done just for variety's sake. But that's what I totally would have picked. Nice work. Yogi oh, Bear? Je- the movie? <laughs> <laughs> You're actually close. You're fairly close with the Yogi Bear as far as the uh, the basic situation. You know, isn't Yogi Bear about a ranger controlling the national park? And Yogi <laughs> Bear is the one that's always getting out of hand and stealing picnic baskets. Uh, this is this is a, the equivalent of that kind of. Uh, uh, all right, Dingus, tell us what it is because Kelly Wan needs to see this movie. Hmm. All right, it's a film that uh, was screened at Sundance this year, and it's called Troll Hunter. And it's actually it had a release. It's out. I think you can find it in your art house theaters these days. I hope. Yes, and I pray that you will, um, because it's. I, I don't. It, it's this great. It's it's in the Norwegian woods. Um, <laughs> it's about a guy hunting trolls, and and my my the creature I'm choosing because I thought I was going to have to tussle with time. I thought you might choose this, Tom. So I. I picked the specific troll I'm choosing is the three-headed troll at the beginning. Mm. Um, and I just – you have to see it because when you hear the word troll, you think silly, I think, <laughs> and you want to giggle. Um, and the way the creature is designed, if you were to see a picture, you might. But because of the way the film is filmed, you won't. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a brilliant design that works so well with how the film is filmed and how the characters are reacting to what is going on that I just love this design and the way the creature ends up, the way the creature looks at the end of the scene is incredible. Uh, so it's a beautiful creature design from introduction and the way the, the, the legs are used as camouflage it it looks like an animal that is adapted to its surroundings and then the way it ends up it's just soup to nuts a great character uh creation and um please if you can see troll hunter do it i can't believe i can't believe you scooped me on this i did why did i because the beauty of it too is there are multiple fantastic designs in this movie and there's a sense of an entire ecology uh and there's also it taps so much into you know what I imagine Norwegian folklore must have like handed down. Like it has this very strong Norwegian sense to it. Uh, God, I love that movie. Dingus dead gummit. So you picked the three hitter. All right, good. I like. Well, uh, well, you know, I give you credit for uh, for giving me. A, well, my kid does too. Aww. For giving me a heads up about uh, three heads up about the film. So uh, all credit to Tom for giving me a heads up about the film. Um, just don't – if you see a movie called Troll Hunter and you think it's going to be silly, just watch it. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, uh, you need to see Troll Hunter. It you're, sounds you're on awesome. Notice. Yeah. All right. I'll be right back, guys. All right. I will meanwhile move on to my number one. Uh, I'm going to give you a line, Kelly Wand. Are you ready? Uh, wait. Okay, now. Wait. <laughs> okay, now. Actually, I'm afraid I don't have a line. Uh, uh, have, you, have you seen Coraline? Yeah. I love the design of the other mother. Yeah. 
how she's so like she starts off as this because the mother uh, it's sort of like this this child's like concept of like the nightmare version of her own mother mm. uh, and even just the sound you know other mother uh, and she's also called the bell dam which is a great variation of bedlam you know meaning like chaos like I, I just love the wordplay that goes into her but also the way she looks like uh, Coraline's mother who's voiced by Terry Hatcher looks kind of like Terry Hatcher the straight-up all-American mom. So when we first meet the other mother, she's a straight-up all-American mom, but with buttons for eyes. And over the course of the movie, she becomes like increasingly exaggerated as she becomes more desperate to seduce Coraline into her own world. Uh, and she morphs from just the the very Terry Hatcher-looking other mother to a more witch-looking creature. And finally, by the end, she's like this full-blown crazy spider thing. Uh, which I just yeah. I remember thinking, man, that would freak me out if I was a kid. And what and what's great about it is the continuity that it has, and it fits so well with what the movie's about to what Coraline's actual mother looks like. Um, hmm. So that's my my favorite creature design is the the wigged out freaky other mother. The her friend who gets silenced or something. Yes, yeah, the little uh, what's his name is Digby or something like yeah. that. Or I, yeah, yeah. She says something like, "I wish he'd talk less," and then he doesn't talk. Like, there's something wrong with him. Like, the mom cut his tongue out or something. Well, they make him as a silent. Yeah, yeah. Like he's created. It's like the this otherworld version of him is this basically doughy. Uh, just completely acquiescent dude because he, he aggravates her in the real world. Yeah. So she wishes that he wouldn't aggravate her. You know, Coraline is basically about the danger of a, what would it be like if a child really got what she wanted? You know, what you, you know, if, if you were trying to give a child what they wanted to, to win this child over, how awful would that be? That's kind of what the movie in a way is saying. And how uh, children should how you should appreciate the real world rather than being a movie about how ooh, how wonderful fantasies are. Yeah. So, yeah, so her, her fantasy is that this this annoying kid that she gets stuck hanging around with, her fantasy is that he wouldn't talk. So the other mother sews his – I think, yeah, you're right, like rips his tongue out or sews his mouth. I think she sews his mouth shut or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I forget what happens to the dad, though, like what his – The dad is a crazy robot uh, that had, that can do all kinds of things. Like he has a bunch of arms to play piano with and he drives a praying mantis thing. But But he's – again, he's just a creation of the other mother. And I think he even warns her at some point. Uh, and then also gets dissolved into, I think, a doughy mass. Um, mm, been on that date. <laughs> so hey, there you I'm, go. I can't believe you chose animation. That's awesome. It's, uh, yeah. Thanks. I'm glad you called it that instead of a cartoon. <laughs> I think you joked about that at one point. About Well, you asked if we could do animation. So I was sure you were going to do Iron Giant or something. But uh, <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, none, all yours are... Uh, all I guys... actually asked if, if you uh, – I was trying to uh, find out if you had said something about if it had to be practical, and you said, no, you can choose Tangled or whatever. Right, that's right. The frying pan and Tangled is your uh... – <laughs> I thought you were just being a goofball, but <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is a pretty good uh, – I like that. I like this a lot. So what runners-up did you guys have, if any? Uh... I think Iron Giant is – I was going to say Iron Giant, but I think Iron Giant is pretty well appreciated. Everybody loves that thing. Yeah, so I like the, the category. I like the little. Uh, I uh, the little. I, I didn't particularly like this film. I don't think any of us did, but I like the little uh, turkey-looking version of the of Dren in Splice before it becomes the. Oh uh, God! Yeah. <laughs> 
I like that little creature. He's already plotting seducing it too. At that point, oh, that was a, yeah, that was that 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 was a cool little thing. Uh, it, yeah. it, it did. I th- I don't know if you said this at the time, Tom, but it seemed like you said something about it. Seemed like uh, some special effects person came up with this proof of concept sort of little. Oh, we can do this. Look at this little turkey creature. Or this little. Okay, well, let's make a whole movie about it where it becomes a sexy woman. <laughs> well, can, let's just go with that because I like that little creature because I feel protective of that little creature. I don't want to mm. sleep with that little creature. Ah. And I like I'll the, sleep with any sharks. Uh, I like the sharks in Deep Blue Sea, but I don't think they're underappreciated. Well, they're, are they different from regular sharks? They're just regular sharks, aren't they? They're big and they swim backwards. Ah, right. <laughs> there you go. That's the that's the design work that went into those guys. Uh, was the Jaws two shark underappreciated? Because we didn't. Because the movie was so boring that they had an awesome looking shark we didn't notice. So I have to admit, this is. Uh, I you know what I don't. I wouldn't say underappreciated, but I actually kind of like the way it looks. But there's a stupid, stupid, horrible movie called uh, – is it Octoshark or Sharkopus? Sharktopus. Uh, Sharktopus. Yeah, that the front half is just a shark, and instead of having a, you know, its tail, the back half is just like tentacles. And just the sheer absurdity – you know, talk about someone coming up with a concept and then saying, hey, let's make a movie about this. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm sure the movie's no good, but it, it looks freaky. When you just have a shark, and instead of it, the back half of it being a shark, instead being tentacles, that's kind of a freaky design, isn't it? It's like they hired a five-year-old girl and the Mad Libs guy, and they gave him acid and said, come up with a movie title. Go. And then they said, <laughs> I think somebody drew it first, and they were like, we got to do a movie of this. Uh, or he was drawn the sexual parasite, and they went, well, we can't make that. We'll just call it a sharktopus, and the smart guys, smart people get it. <laughs> Uh, Kelly Wan, do you have any runners-up for underappreciated character design? What was that movie we watched? Tentacles? Didn't have much of a creature design to it. Uh, does Lily Tomlin and Moment by Moment count? Can I say no? <laughs> what about the robot in Rocky Four? Tom, I thought for sure you would pick Scotty's little friend from Star Trek Reboot. Yeah, because, you know, I have a bunch of those action figures. I collect action figures of Scotty's little friend. Uh, I've got a whole case of them over here. So. He's the rarest card in the collectible card game, too. But, yeah, the problem, Dingus, is he's not underappreciated. Everybody recognizes the brilliance of that. Oh, good. You know, that's, that's the, that was actually the basis for J.J. Abrams agreeing to do Star Trek. They showed him concept art, and he was like, let's make this movie happen. Yep. Mr. So. Spock was a cool design. Let's uh, let's give uh, a guy, Mr. Sp- you know what? Mr. Spock is an elf. There's no design there. He's just a freaking elf. elf. He's yeah. a space elf. Yeah, I'm not falling for that. Worf, space orc. Why space. are pointed ears hot to nerds? Like, why do they need, oh, I'm going to play the elf girl. Oh, that's so hot. Your ears are so pointed. Oh, I just Kelly Wand, if we could get to the bottom of that, you will have cracked the code of human psychology. That makes them freaks. <laughs> We've talked a lot about ears in this podcast. That's it, true. That uh, What's her name? Who's that girl I like from uh, Clash of the Titans? Captain Jim Arterton? No, no. The one who was... Jim Arterton was the one who was nude in About Schmidt, right? Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. She had like a sixth finger when she was born. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. I believe you for a second. I want to know what it is. 
That's uh, Kelly Wand, what is next week's three by three? What do you got for us? Um, okay. These are kind of boring ones. Tell me if we've already done them. Nope. You pick one and we will do it. The three best gotchas. Like, what the fuck moments in movies. Like, uh, when Crying Game, when you saw that the chick had a... Okay, so gotcha, or just, uh, do we want to call them WTF moments? Yeah. Okay, all right. Three best WTF moments. Do I need to take things off the table or explain it more? I think you Uh, took one off the table, and that's fine. Something Good. okay made that made you like do a spit take for real, like not a fake one, but like oh my god, there the popcorn trick wouldn't work like that in dying. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. good. So we will do that next week. How about seeing Bad Teacher? How do you guys feel about that? What was the other option? Bad, bad Teacher. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> take Bad Teacher for fifty. I don't know what. I don't know what y'all's deal is. I'm looking forward to it. So Bad Teacher is one of those. Dingus and I don't watch trailers uh, out of, out, you know, it's just something I don't do if I know I want to see a movie. So Bad Teacher was one where I'm like, oh, this looks stupid. I'm watching the trailer and halfway through I'm thinking, I think I'm going to stop watching this trailer. So I don't know if I just got tricked by the people who made the trailer, but uh, I obviously saw something. I, I, yeah, I saw things there that made me think I want to see this movie. Kelly Wand, you're not nearly as optimistic about Bad Teacher. I just think she's a little old for the car wash scenes. Spoiler right. alert. But, I mean, also, too, Bad Santa did this already. I mean, it's if it's not a spinoff. It's a franchise. But maybe she's a good teacher. We'll be the well, judge. You we? know what? Hopefully the movie will not end with a little redemptive scene where she becomes a good teacher. I think you and I, Kelly Wand, are on the same boat there, right? What? You guys are on the same boat, he's like. Oh, we're on the same boat. Yeah, yeah, totally. Boat. Bad boat. Bad teacher boat. Uh, so right. join us next week for our three best WTF moments, and we will be seeing Bad Teacher. See it. Join us. My name is Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian uh, – I got it somewhere here. I wrote it down. Christian Lubezki. Uh, that's that's close. Um, it's Christian Morosky. I don't think so. Uh, and Kelly Wand. The shit weasels in Dreamcatcher had teeth and tentacles, but also Bigfoot on Six Million Dollar Man. When the truth is found to be lies, and all the joy within you dies, don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to Also, the uh, Anison guy in Osmosis Jones, because I hear in the sequel he actually dissolves. For the next half hour, will you not speak unless you have something important to say? <laughs> <laughs> Only for a half hour? That was beautiful. You be quiet. <laughs>